Factors delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie, and more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. What are you guys waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. The options are endless with Factor. Two-minute meals. Fill up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. How about some snacks, some smoothies, and more? Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Factor is also the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options done easily. And you guys can be very flexible with your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the most important part, there's no prep. No mess. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping. There's no cooking or cleanup that is needed. If that sounds great to you guys, head to factormeals.com slash script 50 and use code script 50 to get 50% off. That's code script 50 at factormeals.com slash script 50 to get 50% off. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Why has Triple H been so successful? Why is Triple H running WWE better than Vince McMahon and Bruce Pritchard on Monday and Friday night? Long-term booking. guys thank you so very much for joining me right here on off the script this is episode 465 for your february 19th 2023 i am your host jd from new york as always coming to you live from the ots venue thank you guys so very much for joining me on your sunday evenings wherever you may be man what a wrestling weekend we had This weekend, with the Elimination Chamber, the storytelling, the excitement, the intrigue, the anticipation, the emotion, the hope and wonder of Sami Zayn. And then on the opposite side of things, we had Mercedes Monet making her New Japan 
in-ring debut against Kyrie for the IWGP Women's Championship. Watch the match that everybody told me to go out and watch because it was pretty fucking great. And you guys did not let me down. You did not lie to me. Sasha Banks or the former Sasha Banks, Mercedes Monet, is the new IWGP Women's Champion. And a revolution is about to begin right at her feet in New Japan Pro Wrestling, in women's wrestling in general. We'll talk about her and what I thought about the match. We'll break down the key points of the match and what I thought about that. But it was an incredible wrestling weekend. Tons of shit to dissect. And we're going to get into that tonight on the podcast. We're also going to go over the Tony Khan and Ariel Helwani situation. Apparently, this is uh, taking on a life of its own. And WWE did the situation no favors by rubbing it in with Ariel Helwani all over the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view last night on the kickoff show on the actual show, they had him narrate this beautiful video package with Sami Zayn. He interviewed Sami Zayn before SmackDown on Friday, like he usually does with all of the WWE key performers. And Tony Khan really blasted him on social media to a point where I don't even blame Tony Khan, to be quite honest with you, because, you know, it, it is a little ridiculous that people present themselves to be one way and then... You know, when Tony Khan sees something that obviously does not fit the grand scheme of things and the narrative, you know, everybody wants to jump on Tony Khan's fucking back. Meanwhile, Ariel Hawani is shilling himself to WWE. We come to find out that he's fucking great friends with Nick Khan. No wonder Tony Khan called him a fucking shill and a, and a biased journalist. So, I mean, I don't blame Tony. Tony Khan's got his own fucking problems. We know Tony Khan is not a good media guy. We know this. We know this for a fact. We know he's not good at interviews. We know he's not going to divulge the information that we want. But that doesn't give Ariel Hawani the fucking right to go out there and throw Triple H and all these softball questions to WWE talent. Then he wants to ask Tony Khan questions that Tony Khan at the time could not answer in regards to CM Punk because it was out of AEW's hands. It was in the hands of the investigation team that was put together to dive into the whole brawl out situation. So, of course, you're not going to get any answers out of Tony Khan. It's ridiculous to even think you are. Then I come to find out today that Jonathan Coachman of ESPN had backed basically Tony Khan. He didn't really mention Tony by name, but he backed Tony Khan's claim of everything that he dislikes about Ariel Hawani. And we're going to go over what Jonathan Coachman had to say right here on the show. But I find it ridiculous that WWE is having fun at the expense uh, of Ariel Hawani here by kind of lowballing and uh, kicking below the belt here in regards to Tony Khan. Unprofessional at its fucking finest here on both sides. It's ridiculous. AEW's got their own fucking problems. We'll talk about a little bit about what I said on Friday again here tonight because they got their own fucking problems. Honestly. And then we're going to talk about the Kenny Omega situation. Kenny Omega... 
reportedly is a free agent this year. Now, we don't know when this year, and we don't know if it's even this year because we don't know with the time that he had to be out with injury, we don't know if Tony Khan is going to add on more time to his contract and keep him in AEW for the remainder of 2023. But right now, WWE seemingly thinks that Kenny Omega's contract is about to be up this year and making him a top priority to bring him on into the company, more so than Jay White. More so than a Kota Ibushi, who's a free agent, who's a freelancer out there to do whatever he wants. WWE, Triple H wants Kenny Omega. WWE, Triple H in, in general, ju- just by him, you know, thinking about what he wants to do with the current WWE product. He, he wants to end AEW. He, he's going legitimately right for the fucking throat. And to be honest with you, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. If I'm Triple H, I'd be fucking pissed too. If I'm Triple H, I have the biggest fucking chip on my shoulder that you will not get rid of until AEW is gone. Because he's going to blame AEW for everything that happened to him and NXT. He just is. Meanwhile, we all know it's Vince McMahon's fault, and we all know everything that was made as far as a decision was concerned with NXT was all Vince McMahon. We all know that. The Triple H is not going to come out publicly and say, yeah, my father-in-law is a fucking cocksucker. He ruined NXT. Triple H is going to end AEW by any means necessary. If that means taking Cody and then going after Kenny and then Kenny leads to the Bucks and then the Bucks lead to Hangman, he wants all the EVPs in WWE. He wants the heart and soul of AEW gone. If Kenny Omega leaves AEW, we got a problem. We got a big, big fucking problem. There is no more AEW. If the Bucks and Kenny leave AEW, there is no more AEW. It's going to be a very interesting situation. CM Punk was at Battle in the Valley last night. People are already claiming that Punk is on his way back to AEW. Otherwise, why would he be there? I don't know. Maybe he's a fan of professional wrestling and wanted to see his good friend Mercedes Vernado perform in the ring. I I don't know. I don't know. He was in the itch, or he had the itch. He was in the mood to watch live professional wrestling last night in San Jose, California. The good old Chicagoan that he is, man. In San Jose, yeah, last night, right? People lining up in the media press box to to grab a picture with him and get a word with him. People still want Punk back. So much so that Chris Jericho just flat out, calmly, like a fucking rock star, debunked a rumor on social media in regards to CM Punk. Yeah, I'd love to work with CM Punk again. Flat out said it in front of everybody. I don't know, man. We're going to talk about all this. We got a lot to talk about today on Off the Scripts. Let me do my usual shilling. Let me be Ariel Hawani for about three minutes. Follow me on social media, man. At JD from NY206. That's Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Cameo. Make sure you hit that subscribe button down below. Turn on the bell for all notifications. We hit a home run with the Elimination Chamber post show last night, man. 4,700 plus last night for the post show. That was more than double who was in number two. Obviously, we were number one. But we were more than double who was behind us. Triple sometimes. And that's thanks to you guys, man. I appreciate you all. For coming out 
last night and sitting down with me talking about all the excitement surrounding Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn in the World Championship match at the Elimination Chamber. Also, we talked about that men's chamber. I thought that men's chamber was fantastic. I thought everybody in that match was incredible. Especially Montez Ford, Bronson Reed, Johnny Gargano, Seth Rollins, all kicked ass. Awesome stuff. One of the best chamber matches that WWE's produced as far as the men's chamber matches are concerned. I thought last night was a tremendous event. Probably the best Elimination Chamber pay-per-view that WWE's ever put on. And I feel like it was the best production that Triple H has had so far on the main roster. And I love that Triple H is making... The main roster pay-per-views feel like he did with TakeOver. It is so great to see. He's not behind a pay-per-view paywall. You're not paying $70 for these shows. And he's still giving you top-notch quality. It's unbelievable. Love it. Hit that thumbs up. We got 1,600 people in here. Let's get that. Thumbs up. Over a thousand. Hit that thumbs up. We're looking for a thousand likes minimum today. On off the script 465. Super chats are open. Get them on and we'll hang out at the end of the show with our cold beverages. And if you guys need more, go to the bar. Go get yourself one. Memberships are open. Get them on in, man. We are VIP only tonight. Where do I sign up? Easy. Hit that join button down below. You'll see it right underneath the video screen you're watching. Or if you want to use the link in my description, it'll take you right there. Hit that join button. Become a channel member right here on Off The Scripts. Or what I like to say, you are my VIPs. You guys get access to these members-only chats on Sunday. And whenever I want to engage members-only chats. You guys get emotes, badges, and you're going to get First dibs on what my mother's basement looks like, which already half of you have already seen because it's in the community tab on, on, on YouTube. And when we unveil officially my mother's basement, you guys are going to be VIP only for the first night, opening night, man. So you're going to need to RSVP to my mother's basement if you guys want to drink in style. I may even have to wear a fucking suit and tie for this fucking momentous occasion this may be the first time you see me in a suit and tie on the podcast unbelievable anyway man that's coming soon my guys over at deviate designs are working on that design i can't wait to unveil that to you go check out all the other videos that you might have missed on the channel everything you need is there shorts Elimination Chamber post, SmackDown, AEW. We got a live stream that we did on Thursday, Raw. It's all there. Go check it out. Plenty for you guys to indulge yourself in. And tonight's show is sponsored by my great friends over at The Ridge. Ridge Ridge.com slash scripts. Go get yourself a goddamn wallet, will you? Enough of this bulky wallet, fucking George Costanza wallet. You don't want that ugly leather wallet in your pants pocket, man. You need to streamline everything that you do daily with the rich. Easy. Easy. If you don't own a ridge, I don't know what the fuck you're doing, really. Ridge.com slash script or use code script at checkout. 10% off. Go get yourself one. I own four. 
Goes to show you how much I love them. When I like something, man, I like something. So go get yourself a Ridge. Ridge.com slash scripts. want to thank them for once again sponsoring the podcast right here on Off the Script. Solomon Tyson. Look at this guy becoming a new member, man. Oh, my goodness. That's what I want to see, man. Solomon Tyson. Mustafa Syed becomes a new member. Washam Machine and Big John Stud, 74. Gentlemen, what the fuck are you guys drinking? Love to see it, man. Keep that energy up all night. It's exactly what I love to see. Let's get into the news, man. I want to start. Let's start small. Let's start simple. I want to talk about Mercedes. I know Mercedes is a very polarizing figure, man. I don't know why. Apparently, uh, people don't like her anymore. Sasha stands have become Sasha haters. WWE fans of Sasha Banks no longer want anything to do with her. They are disassociating themselves with Sasha Banks. They're burning their posters. They're burning their fucking player cards or uh, trading cards. They're, They're burning their action figures and plushies. And their Sasha Banks pajamas are going in the trash. I mean, it's ridiculous to see. It's really ridiculous to see. Meanwhile, this woman has done everything that she can to show you that she loves professional wrestling. At the end of the day, it's sad to see that these people were really never fans of Mercedes Varnado. Sucks to be you. Soon as the Elimination Chamber was over, I tried to watch last night, but I just could not because I was so exhausted. So what I did as I, as I watched it today, I watched that match back only, and I watched a little bit of the Jay White and Eddie Kingston match, which I, I thought, for, for what I watched of the Eddie Kingston and, and Jay White match, it was pretty, pretty fucking good. But I watched all of the Mercedes and Kyrie match for the IWGP Women's Championship and lo and behold, to the surprise of nobody, I mean, I could have predi- if I could have predicted this and played the lottery, man, I wish I could play the lottery like I predicted this. Mercedes Monet is the new IWGP Women's Champion. Uh, there is no reason why she was not going to win because she is a transcending name in women's professional wrestling, and that's the woman you want leading your division. Easy. She beat Kyrie, Battle in the Valley, Saturday night in San Jose. This is the first time she stepped in the ring for New Japan Pro Wrestling after making her debut at Wrestle Kingdom 17 in January, which set the stage for this big-time match, which was the co-main event behind Okada and Tanahashi for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. So, before I get into the match, I want to let you guys know that Mercedes actually started a YouTube channel. Mercedes is now on YouTube. You guys can go... Look it up, Mercedes Varnado. There should be a YouTube short on there and one 23-minute documentary with what I assume is her husband filming her in Japan. And it is a great collection of video with her sitting down, going over exactly why she left WWE, why she wanted to join New Japan, how it's been a dream of her to join New Japan and it was a beautiful thing to see Bailey and Naomi make their way out to Japan to support her in her new venture, man. It's, it's a beautiful thing to really watch for 23 minutes. Uh, she discussed all the emotions she was feeling. We seen glimpses of her as she got to the Tokyo Dome that day. She came face to face with Kenny Omega. 
She was in the locker room. She was taking it all in. She was there in the Tokyo Dome, empty, just kind of taking in the moment. She talked about receiving messages from two WWE higher-ups wishing her well before her debut. Also, at midnight, she said she got a very, very nice text from Triple H, which I'll get to in a second. And it's still crazy that I got an amazing text from William Regal this morning and Triple H. She said this while crying on the documentary. I can't believe how many people support me in this. I'm so fucking happy. Monet also had several friends there. Like I said, Naomi was there. Bailey was there. Kalisto was there, who uh, is very good friends with Sasha. Kalisto and, her, and his wife are very, fr- very good friends with Mikaze and, and Mercedes. They, they vacation together quite often. If you guys uh, look at their social media, they were there to witness her debut in New Japan. Now, we don't know what Naomi's doing, but she's there right now supporting Mercedes in her venture, and that's what good friends do. Bailey made the trip following Monday Night Raw, so she flew out legitimately right after that Monday Night Raw that week, right before Wrestle Kingdom. And she is the new IWGP Women's Champion. And she beat Kyrie last night at Battle in the Valley. Uh, the match was great. The match was really, really great. This was probably the best Mercedes has looked in several years. And, and I don't mean that as far as her being inactive because I knew she would pick this right up where she left off when she was last seen in WWE. I don't mean it as far as a, as a ring rust type of deal. I, I just mean as far as this is the crispest, the most crispiness, that's a word, uh, the most smooth that I've seen Mercedes in the ring in a very long time. And, and I said this before, we got Mercedes in, an, in a New Japan ring and, and presumably on the indies and, and working with major names on the indies. Maybe we see her in Impact. Maybe we see her in AEW. It, it's amazing to see because you know while she was in WWE, she had the ball and chain tied to her ankle. And Mercedes had the handcuffs on, and she could not do what she wanted to do. And this is typical of a WWE production because, you know, they are in control. WWE's got like 30 or 40 different fucking producers. And they're going to allow you to do only what they want. You got some input, I presume, right? But they're only going to allow you to do what they think is best. If you got this wild idea, it's got to go through creative. If you got this wild idea, it's got to go through the, the producer for your match and, and whoever else you're working with. Sometimes I feel like WWE will not allow someone to do something because it's going to outshine somebody else higher up on the card and they don't want you to take away from their main attractions. So, for example, I, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm just going to throw it out there. I feel like... Sometimes they'd handcuff someone like Mercedes or someone like a Bailey in light of them knowing that they could do what they are talking about. And they want to go out there and have the best fucking match possible. They want to pull out some risky moves, something that they've never done before. Oh, no, no, you can't do that because it's going to take away from Charlotte Flair and her spotlight. We can't allow you to look better than Charlotte Flair, right? Something along those lines. I feel like that is a thing in WWE. That's not going to happen here. That's not going to happen in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Sasha Mercedes is going to have a better opportunity to go out there and show us the type of professional wrestler that she is. And I said it even before we got her 
in New Japan, and before she even made her debut at Wrestle Kingdom, you allow this woman to fly and do what she wants to do, you're going to see a Mercedes that you've never seen before in WWE. And that's exactly what we got last night. I thought she was smooth, she was crisp, she took risk, she looked intense, she wrestled with intensity that I've never seen her wrestle with before since I would say... I don't know, her matches with Asuka during the pandemic is probably the last time I saw her wrestle with that type of intensity. Like, we know what the woman is capable of. And we were not allowed to see Mercedes at 100% in WWE. Last night, we saw Mercedes at 100%, and it's only going to get better. So what she did with Kyrie, and take nothing away from Kyrie either, Kyrie was great. Both of them look great. But there was a hunger in Sasha Banks. There was a happiness that you saw immediately in Sasha Banks that was not present when she was in WWE. Now, the match itself was, I think they went over 20 minutes. They easily went over 20 minutes. They gave these women a lot of time to go out there and tell a story and really be the attraction match that it was hyped up to be. Mercedes worked on Kyrie's arm for most of the match. Monet tried to set up Kyrie for a table spot. This is where things really broke down. Uh, there was a moment late in the match where Kyrie accidentally knocked out the referee with a back elbow. And the referee, with you know, with him out of the picture, they were allowed to go to do whatever they wanted. Because there was a moment in the match, earlier in the match, where they were both on the outside. They were both throwing each other into the steel posts. And there was a 19 count. There's a 20 count in New Japan where that is constituted as a count out. It's not 10. In Japan, it's 20. So they made it back at a 19. Kyrie accidentally throws a back elbow, inadvertently hits the referee, which Sasha Mercedes was probably guilty of because she kind of egged that on and made that happen. So when the referee was down, Mercedes started walking up the aisleway and started walking up to the stage, and Kyrie followed. There was a table spot. Mercedes pulled out one of those Japanese tables from underneath the stage and set it up and was about to put Kyrie through the table. Kyrie reversed it, put uh, Mercedes with a powerbomb through the table. They get back into the ring. The referee's up. Kyrie goes up for the insane elbow. Mercedes gets her feet up, blocks the insane elbow. Kyrie blocks the big Sasha frog splash off the top rope and then applied a cross face. But Mercedes bit her way out of the hold. And then she hit her new finisher, which I think she's calling the moneymaker, to win the IWGP Women's Championship. After the match, both Mercedes and Kyrie hugged. There was a nice little moment between those two. Uh, a passing of the torch moment, I would say. This is now Mercedes' division. And she's sticking around with New Japan Pro Wrestling. She's going to lead that division as its champion. And she's already taking challenges from legitimately anybody in women's wrestling that is not in WWE. She posted something on Twitter, leave me who you want to see step up to the plate in regards to this IWGP Women's Championship. A lot of people are already saying, yeah, why don't you just go over to Dynamite and let's get the match out of the way. Let's do, let's do Mercedes and let's do Jamie Hayter. I'd love to see it. I really would. Now, I honestly feel like we're going to get the best that we've gotten out of Mercedes with this run. And a lot of people, all the fucking geeks, all, oh, she, she, she's not a draw. Mercedes sold this show out. No matter how many people were allowed to fit in that venue, there were uh, at least, uh, what was it, 2,500, 3,000 people in, in that convention center that they held Battle in the Valley in. That's a lot of people. That's nothing to sneeze at. 
It's a New Japan fucking show. New Japan doesn't have a really great presence here in the United States. Mercedes sold that shit out. Because she was announced, that was the only match that was announced on the show, and that shit was a sellout almost instantaneously. So, yes, she's a draw. Yes, she's going to be a star maker, a performance maker in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Instantly, the division and whatever they need to do with women's wrestling is going to be elevated because she is there. She walks into a room and she's a fucking star and she knows she's a star. And you know she's a star. I've said this for years. If Charlotte, Becky, and Bailey, along with Mercedes, walked into a room and you see the way that they come out for their ring uh, entrance... And you see them all walking through. Who am I going to think is the biggest star? I'm always going to point to Mercedes. Always. A lot of people think Charlotte's the biggest star. But that's what WWE wants you to believe. I believe Sasha Banks was held down in WWE because they had their pick. And they didn't want anybody overshadowing Charlotte Flair in WWE. That's just the way I feel about it. And I'm not really that far off from that opinion anyway. There's going to be a revolution in women's wrestling that you see take place from New Japan to Impact to AEW to wherever else she wants to go and wrestle as long as she stays healthy. There's going to be a revolution in women's wrestling. And it's going to be because of her. Now, does she end up joining AEW? I hope so. I hope so. But AEW's got their own fucking problems. AEW's got their own slew of problems. No matter how great the shows have been for the majority of 2023 so far, and they've been absolutely banger shows. But AEW is still riddled with problems, and it starts at the top with Tony Khan. But if Sasha, or Mercedes, I keep calling her Sasha, it's going to be a little little bit of a big deal. Uh, Mercedes, if Mercedes does work for AEW, it may not be with this current women's storyline going on right now with Soraya and Tony Storm and Britt Baker. A lot of people are under the assumption that she will be brought in. We'll see. But... She will absolutely be, as long as she's still the IWGP Women's Champion, she will be 100% at Forbidden Door if Tony Khan's doing another Forbidden Door too. Which I don't know why he wouldn't, because the first one was great. And the second one this year, he's going to have a better roster, he's going to have a fuller roster, and he's going to have more banger matches to put on than he ever has before. So I don't know why he wouldn't. There's no doubt about it that this year's Forbidden Door is going to blow last year's out of the water. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And that's the one show out of the year. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, oh Forbidden Door, New Japan. There's no build or there's no build to the show, man. It's nothing, it's nothing but virgin marks. He's catering to such a small audience. I don't care. 
I am about long-term booking. I want stories. This is why we've all fallen in love with the Sammy Bloodline story with Roman Reigns and Jey Uso. We want long-term booking. That's the one night of the year. I don't give a fuck about stories, man. Give me banger after banger after banger. I don't care. Give me a Brian Danielson and Okada, man. They don't have to say anything to each other. Just put them in the ring and shut the fuck up. Seriously. Give me Mercedes and Jamie Hayter. I don't give a shit. Put them in the ring. Shut the fuck up. Give me another Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay part two. Shut the fuck up. Real. I don't care. I don't care. Me, uh, Seriously. So Forbidden Door, I do think that she will be at the Forbidden Door. And I do think that we will be getting a Forbidden Door too. But outside that, I thought Mercedes absolutely killed it last night. She looked great and good for her. I know there are a lot of people coming out of that New Japan uh, appearance at Wrestle Kid. Oh, she botched her finish. She's already she's already looking terrible, uh, whatever they, they said. I, first of all, I, I watched that spot back. I don't even think it was Sasha. Uh, who botched the move. I, I don't even think it was her fault. It was Kyrie who didn't know how to take the finish. It's a brand new finish. I don't give a shit if they botched or not. She's there. Appreciate it. This woman could be in Hollywood and she could have told you, fuck off. She could have told pro wrestling, go fuck yourself. But she's here. And go watch the documentary, man. The passion, the emotion, the love that she has for everything that she does is shown in 23 minutes. She loves this business. She loves what she does. So why don't you support her? It's amazing. You got people in this industry that fucking hate the fans and hate what they do and are only here for a paycheck. Meanwhile, you got this woman who's obviously taking a pay cut to perform in a country where she doesn't know the language and work with people that she's never worked for or worked with before and worked for before. And she's trying to do what she needs to do to remain at the top of her game. She wants to challenge herself. If you don't appreciate that, I don't, I don't know what you appreciate as a human being. You know, I look at it in, in, a, in a very similar situation to me. Not that I'm a professional wrestler or anything, but I worked retail for close to 15 years, and it was terrible. I hated my life. I hated the people that I worked with. I hated everybody that fucking came within 10 feet of me. I couldn't stand anybody. It made me into a terrible person. When one point came around where I was like, I'm done with this shit. I'm looking for any way out. I started the YouTube channel and I said, you know what? I reached 30,000, 40,000, whatever the fuck it was. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a chance on myself. I, I may be taking a pay cut. I don't know what I'm going to be making as far as, you know, monetary gains with the channel over a guaranteed paycheck every fucking week. But I'm going to quit this job and I'm going to go all in on myself with the YouTube channel and I'm not going to look back. Because I know I have what it takes. I know I got the personality. I know I have the charisma. I know I have the knowledge to do this fucking wrestling podcast thing. And I know that I have the, the passion to create content the way that I have. And look at where we were with the podcast. And look at where we are now. We're doing it better than anybody. We look better than anybody. We sound better than anybody. We are what we are now. We're one of the biggest voices in the entire community. And you can't refute that. And I did that because I took a fucking chance on myself. Mercedes took a chance on herself. She knows what she's capable of. She knows how great she is. She knows that she can get the job done without the help of WWE. And look at where, look at where she is. Look at what she's done. She's already won the IWGP Women's Championship in a banger match. It's the best women's match that we've seen all year. It's only February. And it's going to be one of the best matches that you see all year. 
And that's not the, that's, that's only the beginning of it. It's not even close to what she's going to be capable of this year. This woman took a chance on herself. She could have easily stayed with the WWE, easily. But she didn't. How difficult it must be for her to go out there knowing that the Sasha Banks name is transcendent in the world of professional wrestling. Everyone knows Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks is fucking just a name that everybody associates with. She changed her whole persona. She got rid of Sasha Banks and is starting all over again. She's taken what she's learned over the entirety of her career and now is applying that somewhere else to get ahead with new challenges and new opportunities. You know, they say if you can make it in WWE, you can make it anywhere. I think of it the opposite way, to be quite honest with you. It is so difficult to leave WWE and start all over again. If she can make it here, it is going to be such a validating experience and a journey for her that she's going to be, whatever she does after this, she could fucking go in there blind and fucking succeed. 100%. It is so great to see her succeed on her own, honestly. And the thing is, there was a vicious rumor going around. Oh, you know, Sasha walked out of WWE with Naomi and they threw the titles on John Laurinaitis' desk. I, I've been saying this. Is that there hasn't been one fucking person that came up with the narrative of what if Naomi walked out and Sasha followed Naomi? Nobody talked about that. I was the only one that even brought that up as a fucking possibility. Everybody, oh, yeah, Sasha walked out because she's the biggest name and she's going to get the most clicks and, the, and she's going to get the most spotlight in the headlines. Meanwhile, we don't know if Sasha really walked out. All that was was a Sasha Banks smear campaign for WWE. Then there was a breakdown in communication. Why did she leave WWE? Triple H wasn't really in charge then. Bruce Prichard was head of talent relations at that point. John Laurinaitis was still in charge as head of talent relations. When Laurinaitis was fucking fired, they made Bruce Pritchard his replacement. So between all that Vince bullshit with the Wall Street Journal, John Laurinaitis getting the axe, Bruce Pritchard having to have more than one hat and more than one position, of course there was going to be a breakdown in communications. A lot of people were like, oh, you don't know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. You don't know what I know. Seriously. Sasha Banks had a breakdown in communication, not with Triple H. Triple H texted Mercedes while she was about to go wrestle for New Japan, make her debut at Wrestle Kingdom. Triple H wanted Mercedes back in the company. It was too late before he got a chance to really sit down. She made her decision already. She wanted to leave. She may be back. We don't know. But the breakdown in communication happened with Johnny Laurinaitis, Vince McMahon, and Bruce Prichard, and that administration. By that time, she already made her decision. She had lawyers fucking on the ball, getting her out of her contract. She couldn't do anything till January, which we saw her debut for New Japan at Wrestle Kingdom. She already made her decision. So by, by the time Triple H got in charge and was fully put in that place to make those types of decisions, it was already, what, August, September. There's nothing that he could do. She was already out of her contract. And she's like, you know what? I made it this far. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And then I'll see you down the road sometime. Wrestling fans are the worst, bro. Wrestling fans are the fucking worst. Seriously. Give the woman some credit. What she did last night was fucking great. And I'm very happy to see her happy. And women's wrestling thriving over in Japan. CM Punk. 
He was spotted at New Japan Battle in the Valley last night. This made rounds during the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. I'm like, oh, great. This is something that I really need to be bothered with when I'm trying to sit down and watch Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn. CM Punk hasn't appeared for any show outside of an MMA show since the all-out situation. And many people are wondering whether his career is over, if AEW is going to bring him back, if they're going to cut ties with him, if they're going to buy out his contract. Is he going back to WWE? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. According to multiple sources, AEW's owner, Tony Khan, has the ability to bring back CM Punk whenever he wants after he recovers from injury. And right now, it is under the presumption of Dave Meltzer that CM Punk will be ready to go in just a couple of months. So we will see what Tony Khan is going to do with CM Punk. And I'll mention this in a little bit. I do feel like CM Punk should be back with AEW. I feel like with him back, he brings a whole lot of positive with with him. And I don't want you thinking the negative because we know exactly what the negative is. We've seen it at all out. Now, CM Punk was reportedly sitting in the media section at New Japan's Battle in the Valley with Lars Fredrickson, And we had some tweets going out that CM Punk was there. People were lining up like this was a meet and greet to get photos with him. And he was photographed sitting in the media section of the Battle in the Valley show. Now, Punk's appearance obviously has caused a stir again because he knows exactly what he's doing. A lot of people are wondering that, oh, well, he showed up on a New Japan show with several AEW talents on the show and New Japan right now in a working relationship with AEW, uh, we have the presumption that CM Punk is going to be back with AEW when his rehabilitation is over. Obviously, that's the first thing that people are going to be thinking of. Bailey was there. Naomi, I believe, was there as well. Um, Punk was in a place where there were a lot of, you know, pro wrestling representation in the building. So this made the rounds on social media, and a lot of people are thinking that with this appearance, AEW is set to bring back CM Punk when the time is right. Chris Jericho actually busted the door open about CM Punk possibly coming back to AEW as well and debunks a major Punk rumor with one single tweet. Jericho commented on the rumors about CM Punk and the possibility about another match against CM Punk in AEW. Jericho replied to a Twitter post from a fan who was watching something back with them in WWE. Apparently, it was a match at WrestleMania 28 in 2012. Jericho commented on a potential match with CM Punk and said this, I always loved working with at CM Punk, dot, 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 end quote. Now, there was a rumor going around that Jericho held a locker room meeting with John Moxley and Brian Danielson stating that CM Punk will not be back in the locker room over his dead body. He will never be allowed back in the locker room ever again. I didn't hear anything about that. I didn't read anything about it. I don't know where the fuck that came from. That must have been one of Meltzer's, uh, you know, wrestling observer pieces that were misinformed. I didn't hear anything else about that. Jericho immediately denied that fucking rumor. I don't know why that would happen or why that would be said. 
when you want a harmonious locker room, and there are pe- several people in that locker room that actually are on CM Punk's side, why would you want to blatantly throw that fucking quote out there and divide the locker room even more? You don't want shit like that. You don't want to bring that negativity into the locker room. I never even believed the fucking quote was even stated. I don't think Jericho even said it. Bullshit. Ridiculous. AEW was trending into a good place, and then you want to throw that out there. It's like the dirt sheets are looking and fishing for negativity. As soon as AEW started getting better and the locker room started getting cleaned up, then we get that vicious rumor. Oh, yeah, Jericho said Punk will never be back in the locker room over his dead body. I'm like, bro, give it a fucking rest already. They're trying to get the locker room cleaned up, and they're trying to get everybody on the same page, and you want to fucking cause division again. Give me a break. Now, he did love working with CM Punk. He said he, he always loved working with CM Punk. You could take that... You could take that as any way you want. I mean, you could think about that in the past tense. You could think about that in a way of, oh, yeah, I loved working with CM Punk in a way where Jericho said, yeah, I love working with CM Punk and you'll never see it again because he's not, com- he's not coming back to the AW locker room. But I look at it in a way of, you know, him going out there and saying, well, I loved working with CM Punk and I would love to work with him again. That's the way I feel like it came off. I don't know. I mean, it's up to you. I mean, it's up to you for uh, interpretation there. But Jericho, you know, he was at the brunt of that rumor. And I feel like this was a debunking of that CM Punk rumor with this tweet. I feel like this is Chris Jericho and AEW trying to keep everything calm. And that leaves the door open for a potential CM Punk return to the WWE. Or to the uh, to AEW, not WWE. He's never going back to WWE, AEW. Um, I mentioned this on Friday, and, and I guess I should talk about this here because uh, it, it kind of fits into the point I, I want to make with CM Punk. CM Punk being back in AEW, I, I feel like he will be back. I feel like with him being back, FTR will be back. I feel like there's a money-making situation there with the elite Kenny Omega, which could also be a reason why Kenny Omega is a free agent, hasn't signed a new deal, and could potentially be teasing himself going to WWE. But we don't know where Kenny Omega's heart lies. He may not want Punk back in, in AEW. I, I don't know. With, with, with Punk back in AEW, it may lead to a complete division of AEW, and the EVPs are set to say goodbye. I don't know. AEW's got their own problems, and it starts at the top. And, and, and I want to bring this to everybody's attention because, you know, a lot of people are blind. These AEW marks... A lot of people think I'm an AEW mark simply because I wear this gray hoodie that I'm wearing right now. Meanwhile, they don't know what the fucking vibe in my office is. You know, I wear this around the house because instead of turning up the fucking heat in in the house, I I wear this around the house and and it keeps me adequate. And plus, I think I look fucking good in it. What's the difference? I wear an AEW hoodie. I wear a Symphony X hoodie. I wear an Alter Bridge hoodie. Uh, I have another AEW hoodie that's black in the fucking closet that I don't wear. So what? AEW's got their own fucking problems. I'm just as critical of WWE as I am critical of AEW. When both companies do whatever I think is wrong, they get called out for it. When they do something right, I call them out and say good shit. I don't favor one company over the other. There's no tribalism here. Whatever you hear online, whatever you see on social media, there's no fucking tribalism here. 
I'm a fan of pro wrestling. The whole fucking basis of this podcast is because we want, I want better pro wrestling. I don't give a fuck who you are. It starts at the top with Tony Khan. We know Tony Khan is not the greatest leader. He's documented that already. He's had problems late last year with AEW. Everything was a complete fucking mess. This Ariel Hawani thing is just the latest situation with Tony Khan that really paints him in a negative way. And now, I'm not taking Ariel's side. I'm not taking Tony's side. I could see why both of them went back and forth on social media. But again, it starts at the top. I, I want to, and, and I don't want this to come off as if I'm a, I'm a Triple H shill. Everybody knows that I have this, 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 you know, love for Triple H as far as what he does creatively. I think he's got a brilliant mind. I think he's great for what he did in NXT. I loved everything he did in NXT. The man could do no wrong to me with what he did in black and gold. And he's trying to do that same thing on the main roster. And I have been on that fucking hill for, for years. Do what you do in NXT. Do what you did in NXT on the main roster and we will be gold. Elimination Chamber was a fucking takeover. With main roster stars. Shut the fuck up. I know what I'm talking about. You would never see Triple H go out there and fucking do what Tony Khan does on Twitter or do or say what Tony Khan does at a media scrum. That's all I'm saying. I have love for Tony Khan. I have love for Triple H. I think what Tony Khan is doing is great. I love Tony Khan's fucking passion. I love Tony Khan's wrestling knowledge. It's a rarity to find somebody that is that passionate about pro wrestling and then find himself leading a company. But again, Tony Khan isn't the best media guy. He's not the best representation of the company sometimes. You would never see Triple H go out there and do and say the things that Tony Khan has done and said at these media scrums or on social media. In my personal opinion... Sometimes, with how Tony Khan acts online and the comments he makes on a podcast here about WWE and a podcast there about Triple H or Nick Khan and all this other shit, some of the AEW diehards are going to look at that and say, ha, 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 yeah, yeah, I love the fucking pettiness, man. Petty Tony Khan is fucking entertaining. I won't, I won't lie. I won't lie. But there's also a set of fans that is out there and will say, well, why are you doing that? It's not that professional, and I don't really want to watch a show led by this guy. I don't want to support a company led by this guy who's acting like a fucking eight-year-old. It's not really a good look. Tony Khan's got his own problems. AEW has their own problems. And a lot of people are looking at current AEW television right now, and saying, yes, this is some of the best shit that's di- that Dynamite has produced. Yes, that's the case. From the first show of the year in January to where we are right now with this past Wednesday show being the weakest of all the shows so far, AEW has put on banger shows. But like I said on Friday, the landscape and the feeling and the mentality of pro wrestling in 2023 is changing. And that is because of Triple H. It is because of Triple H because Triple H has been the guy that has been involved more so than anything with long-term booking. 
Vince McMahon never gave us long-term booking. WWE in the past administration never gave us long-term booking. There was no long-term planning. Things were booked week to week. Scripts were being ripped up. You didn't know what the fuck was going on. I could go on WWE.com at 7.45 in regards to Monday Night Raw, and there won't be a fucking graphic for Monday Night Raw up there because I don't know what the fuck is on the show. They don't know what's on the show. Why? You've rarely seen that with Triple H in charge. Now, WWE's got their own problems, but right now they got the hottest storyline in, in, in decades happening on their television show heading into WrestleMania with the bloodline. Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, the Usos, Roman Reigns. What does AEW have? AEW's got banger matches. AEW's got MJF and Brian Danielson, which I am fucking super excited about. Love MJF. Love Danielson. 60 Minutes. I got my fucking cold beverage and popcorn ready. Gonna love it. They're gonna shut a lot. MJF is gonna shut a lot of people up. You know how fucking good he is. This is just, this match is gonna be a big fuck you from MJF. But outside that, there is stories, but there really isn't, there isn't anything that captivates over a long period of time. And I don't know why that is. Like, they have their stories. But I can't really sit here and tell you that AEW is, you know, riddled in long-term booking. I think the last angle that we've had that was long-term booking, and it may have dragged out a little too long, was the Blackpool Combat Club and the JAS. I mean, was it the greatest long-term booking angle that the company's ever had? No. To go back before that, MJF CM Punk has been building for years. I mean, MJF has always mentioned CM Punk in some way, shape, or form. When they finally got in the ring together, that was fucking years and years and years of story that could that they could have brought to, to AEW and really build around with the storyline. And, and that resulted in some great fucking television, months worth of television. Then before that, you got Adam Page and Kenny Omega. That's been building up. That was building up for... I guess since AEW started with Adam Page. To see Adam Page's transformation from, from his character to where he was before he won the world title with Kenny Omega, the whole belt collector thing with Kenny Omega, that was beautiful fucking storytelling. Adam Page being kicked out of the elite, then wanting nothing to do with Adam Page. Kenny Omega and Adam Page being tag team champions in AEW, and then that friendship ripped apart. Where's that long-term booking? I haven't found that on AEW television in a very, very long time. MJF and Danielson is great. But this is one of four different angles that MJF has been a part of that have all felt similar. He's done the same thing with Wardlow. He did the same thing with Cody. He did the same thing with Chris Jericho. Now he's doing it with Danielson. It's the same angle. It's the same storyline. Have one guy beat Five different guys and then get to the final boss. Or have, you know, one guy go through five different trials and tribulations and then get to me. It's the same angle every time. I can't really sit here and tell you that it sucks because it doesn't with the caliber of performer that is in the storyline. But it doesn't really come off to me and it doesn't jump off the page as creative. It's not. It's not long-term booking either. 
I can't sit here and tell you that it sucks because MJF and Danielson, no matter what you say, is going to be a banger. Keith Lee and Swerve, what happened there? Keith Lee's been off TV for what, six weeks? Now all of a sudden the fucking feud goes dead ice cold and you want me to fucking pick up exactly where I left off with Keith Lee before he got fucking stomped with a cinder block. Can't sit here and tell you that I'm excited about it as far as a storyline aspect. I'm excited to see them wrestle. But six weeks is a long time for someone to be out and then ask me, yeah, you should just feel as invested in that as you were before Keith Lee went out with injury. Can't do that. That's unfair of you to ask. Then you got Jade Cargill holding a TBS championship. Fucking shit is absolutely worthless. The fucking bubble gum I have in my fucking desk is worth more than Jade, Car- Jade Cargill's TBS championship. What else is happening on the show? Jericho and Ricky Starks. Not really long-term booking. It's been built up since January. And they even dropped the ball on that feud. It's not as hot as it was. Wardlow and Samoa Joe. Not really long-term booking. Wardlow's been out. We just got a fucking explanation about why his hair was cut five weeks after he went out. AEW is missing long-term booking. It's almost as if they forgot how to do long-term storylines. And I don't know where that's coming from. I don't know why that is, but I'm going to say it starts at the top. I don't know who's helping Tony Khan. I don't know who's around him to give him ideas. I don't know if he's still the idea maker or the guy who's pushing all the narrative back there as far as what's appearing on television and what's not on television. But I'm going to say this again like I said this months ago with Tony Khan running AEW and getting Ring of Honor back up and running on Ring of Honor's uh, paid subscription and then him wanting to buy WWE and be in the sale process with that, Tony Khan is wearing too many hats in AEW and I feel like Tony Khan would benefit from a writing team. A writing team. I'm not saying Tony Khan can't help with creative. I I need... Tony Khan to step away from being fucking, you know, the number one guy at five different things. And I need him to be the boss at one. I need him to be the fucking boss backstage. I need him to be in that chair, in gorilla position. And I need him to be the guy that makes the final decisions on this shit and goes back and forth with a dedicated writing team. That's what we need. Because I don't know what's going on backstage But the simple fact of the matter is that we got MJF and Brian Danielson in a world championship match that is going to be a fucking banger, but the storyline leading up to this match has already been done three different fucking times already. I don't know why that is. Three different times. AEW's been around for four years, and we've seen this fucking shit happen three different times already before we get to this fourth time with Danielson. It's a problem. It is a major problem. Everybody's so excited about the House of Black and the Elite happening at the pay-per-view. Kenny Omega was on Swerve Strickland's podcast. And I think he made mention of something along the lines of, I'm not really in this right now, and I don't really want to embroil myself in, you know, story-driven narratives. I just want to have matches with these trios championships. I want to go out there and wrestle. I want to go out there and put on 
banger matches with people that I've never wrestled before. I want to have fun. I'm not saying you can't have fun, but I also want, as a fan's point of view, I also want there to be a fucking reason why the match is happening. I don't want to watch a fucking weekly episodic television show and then watch something develop on TV and not know the fucking reason why it's happening. The landscape of pro wrestling is changing, and it's not about putting on banger after banger after banger after banger. Save that shit for Forbidden Door, where it's not going to be an issue. But don't give me a House of Black versus the Elite for no fucking reason because it's simply going to be a banger match. Or, oh, it's been a long time coming for the House of Black. Or it's been a long time coming for both of these teams to be in the ring. This should have happened months ago. Months ago. House of Black should have won the fucking trio championships when they had the tournament. But here we are. And we're looking at a match potentially happening at the pay-per-view, and there's no story behind it. And what happens when we get the match? Oh, it's going to be a great match. No fucking shit. Just like the sun is going to rise tomorrow morning. No shit. It's going to be a great match. Kenny Omega can fucking sleep through that match, and it'll be a five-star match. No shit. But what is the reason? What is the reason? Because we need a trios championship match? Because we need to get the Elite and the House of Black on the pay-per-view? That is such a bullshit narrative. We need to get X amount of guys on the show, and it needs to be six hours. And it needs to fulfill a $50 price tag on pay-per-view. I would pay $50 for Elimination Chamber last night. You know how many matches they had? Five! You know how long the show went? Three hours! I would have paid $50 for that fucking show just based off what happened in the main event. Don't give me that bullshit narrative. They're going to load the show up because, you know, they only have four or five of these things and he needs to make his money back on it and we need to get everybody on the show and they need to give their people or the, the people their money's worth. You fucking break. You know what I want? Quality. The more matches you put on a show, the less quality the show is. The more matches you put on a show, the more tired the audience is. Less is more. Quality over quantity. Why are these ideologies and this mentality fucking blowing away like dust in the fucking wind in AEW? I don't get it. More, 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 more. Oh, we only got three hours of weekly television. We got to give people six-hour pay-per-views fucking every quarter. No, you don't. No, you don't. I would rather the match not take place and you build a story around why the match is actually happening so we get singles matches between these guys or tag team matches happening between these guys and some sort of story and then we do the match at double or nothing. Oh, but what if we do the match at Revolution and then a story builds out of the match? What story? What story? It's either the House of Black win the titles or we don't do the match. Why would you even bother putting them in a match where they've been off TV in a prominent role for months? The Elite just won a fucking trio championship in a best of seven series, and you're going to want to have them drop the titles already after going through all of those two months of television to give them a fucking championship, only to lose it right back to the House of Black? So what does that say about their title reign? What does that say about them going through a best of seven? And if the House of Black go into that match and then lose, what the fuck are you doing with the House of Black? You want to put them in a position where they are set up to lose immediately? 
Give me a fucking break. It doesn't make sense. I would rather the match take place when there is a storyline built up for it. They have a major, major problem. Major problem. They don't know how to long-term book anymore. Things are happening on a week-to-week. I mean, none of these matches outside Danielson and MJF were even built up. I mean, we just got half of the fucking card announced on Wednesday, and we're two weeks away from the pay-per-view. John Moxley and Adam Page. I mean, there's a storyline there, but, I mean, that's very few and far between. That's one of two matches that really has some sort of story over months of television. If you don't think AEW's got a fucking problem, I don't know what you're watching. I mean, genuinely, are you asking for banger matches every fucking week? I mean, they just, I said this on Friday, they just announced Wheeler Yuta versus Orange Cassidy on, on, on Wednesday for the All-Atlantic Championship. Why? Who cares? Is it going to be a great match? Sure. But why is it happening? They took away their standings. For what? But the standings... And them basing what they put on television on the standings, them taking, they didn't really take the standings seriously, let's be honest, but at least with some sort of guide, if they took it fucking seriously, then things on TV would matter. I mean, I got a whole bunch of TV right now that's nothing more than banger matches and none of it means anything. Maybe the AEW audience doesn't want long-term booking. Maybe their audience just wants banger matches. I don't, I don't know. I don't know why you would just want matches for no reason, no rhyme or reason. How are you going to grow your company with just banger matches? I've always been on the team of LTB. Always. I will take long-term, but it could be fucking people I don't give a shit about. But as long as there's a captivating story there, you're going to have me coming back for more. What are people coming back to? What are people watching Dynamite for? Banger matches. Is that what's going to keep the people watching Dynamite? What if there's a match on TV that you don't want to see? Audience is going to drop off. Can't continuously put on banger match after banger match after banger match and then have AEW's ratings stay at where they need to be. The rating was 824,000 this week. How are you fucking getting 824,000 on Dynamite, on a Wednesday, when there's no football, what the fuck are people watching? What's going on now? The NBA All-Star? I mean, it's, we're, we're going into NBA All-Star season. We're at the halfway point of the NBA season. There's nothing major going on there. 824,000, you got MJF, the hottest fucking guy, outside Sami Zayn, in the business, as your world champion, and, and you can't get close to a million? What does that say about MJF? How do you think MJF's looking at that? You're not giving people, you're not giving people a reason to care about dynamite. I don't know what else to tell you. And this is not coming from, oh, JD's nothing more than a Triple H shill now. He's turned his back on Tony Khan. No, I'm just making things apparent to you that you know are there, but you are afraid to address. That's the way a lot of people feel. 
You're not going to grow your company if there's no fucking long-term booking. And this is why I said, I want to cycle back to why I feel CM Punk is going to come back to AEW. Because CM Punk back in AEW is going to be CM Punk back in AEW, and with him comes long-term booking. CM Punk's not going to put himself in something that's, yeah, just, let me wrestle this guy. He got his matches out of the way. He got his Darbies. He got his Will Hobbs. He got uh, Eddie Kingston. CM Punk with him, he brings back long-term booking. And there is a fucking angle involved there. If they want to play into it, that is going to be something that people will watch AEW Dynamite for. It is there. But don't act like AEW doesn't have a fucking problem. Don't act like AEW is perfect. They're not. It all starts at the top with with, with Tony Khan. And him acting like a fucking child on social media and acting and, and saying things on podcasts in regards to Nick Khan and Triple H and WWE and this and that. I mean, it's not a good look for AEW. If you think AEW now is in a better place than they were in 2021, even during the pandemic, they put on banger television. You're a fool. Yeah, Punk came back to pro wrestling. They had one of the hottest fucking names that's been gone for seven years back in their promotion, and it didn't really work out the way that it, that it needed to. They dropped the ball. The biggest name in the fucking business back in pro wrestling, and, and they almost didn't know what to do with him. It's a shame. It really is a shame. And again, I'm not saying this because I don't like AEW. I love AEW. But they need to start getting on the same page as WWE in regards to it being long-term booking. We need a story that's going to have people watching television. And I don't mean one story. There needs to be several stories on this show that captivate people from week to week to week to week to week. That's what's going to drive Dynamite to be watched. Every week. Seemingly feels like they've gone away from that. And I do think Punk is going to bring that back if he does come back to the company. Which I hope he does. Tony Khan starting this shit with Ariel Hawani is not a good look for AEW, man. It's not. And Ariel Hawani, he made himself look like an unprofessional journalist. Which I'm not surprised by because most of the journalists in the industry are pretty much all shills and unprofessional in their own right. Tony Khan, he got everybody talking during SmackDown because SmackDown was in Montreal to promote Sami Zayn at the Elimination Chamber with Roman Reigns. And there was a Sami Zayn promo that was narrated by Ariel Hawani that made it onto Friday's broadcast of SmackDown. Ariel Hawani works for BT Sport, which is a WWE partner in the United Kingdom. WWE's television provider in the United Kingdom, BT Sport, has Ariel Hawani fly out during all these major shows and interview WWE talent from Seth Rollins to Triple H to Becky Lynch to Sami Zayn, Drew McIntyre, whomever else he interviewed. He's always embroiled in something when WWE has a major, major paper. We saw it for the Royal Rumble. We saw it for Survivor Series. We saw it for Clash of the Castle. We're going to see it for WrestleMania. It's just something that they do. WWE knows they have Ariel Hawani in their pocket, vice versa, and they're going to utilize it. It's basically, it's basically Ariel Hawani is Nick Khan's boy, 
And Ariel Hawani knows that. WWE knows that. And they're going to fucking... They're going to milk this fucking fanboy shill for all that he's worth. Because they know he is one of the top journalists in the industry. And with that comes press and everything else. And Ariel Hawani gets a small piece of that pie at the end of the day, too. Builds his, it builds his platform. It builds his name value. And vice versa, using WWE's intellectual property. It works both ways. So we got the Elimination Chamber on Saturday night. They're building Sami Zayn up on Friday in Montreal on SmackDown. Tony Khan tweeted at Ariel Hawani during the show, you're a fraud, Ariel Hawani. You're as legitimate of a reporter as Tony Schiavone, end quote. Now, Ariel Hawani responded to the tweet saying, thanks for watching, old friend. Can't wait for our next chat. Then he puts in in, uh, parentheses, also, don't listen to the snowman, Shivani. You're a legend in my books, end quote. Now, if you guys didn't get the reference of Ariel Hawani calling Tony Khan a snowman, it's basically Ariel Hawani in the most nicest way possible without actually saying it, basically telling Tony Khan that he's a fucking cocaine addict. He's a snowman. Tony Schiavone, I don't know why his name was brought up here by Tony Khan. I I mean, he he almost made it seem like he threw Tony Schiavone under the bus. And Tony Schiavone is very good at what he does. He's not really a reporter. He's an on-air personality. He's a color commentator. He's a backstage interviewer for aesthetics on AEW Dynamite. He's not really a reporter, but uh, let's not throw Tony Schiavone under the bus. Yes, it's a lame reply. Yeah, yes, Ariel Hawani had to dig so deep into the bottom barrel of lame jokes that he called Tony Khan a snowman because of his appearance and rumored cocaine addiction, which, I mean, we don't know if that's true. And if it is, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? Tony Khan does cocaine and sniffs a line of cocaine. Who gives a fuck? Like nobody else has done anything nefarious in the world of professional wrestling before. Give me a fucking break. Who gives a fuck? It's none of your business what he wants to do. Tony Khan ended the online back and forth by tweeting, good luck with the unbiased journalism. This response, along with the entire argument, obviously is about Helwani's relationship with WWE. Helwani, a respected journalist in his field, has received backlash for working with WWE, a company he reports on. Khan and Helwani have had issues in the past, Stemming from an interview when Ariel Hawani asked Tony Khan about the infamous media scrum and subsequent backstage altercation after All Out involving CM Punk. Khan thanked Helwani for the interview but declined to comment. Helwani subsequently called the interview one of the most frustrating of his career. Well, he, he basically set himself up for that one. He basically fucking set himself up for that one. Ha, 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 I got Tony Khan. I'm going to get the answers out of Tony Khan. And Tony Khan made you look like a fool. You asked TK questions that were not really on the table as far as him being able to give answers to you or the answers that you expected or wanted in that moment. You asked about CM Punk. You can ask about anything else, but you got to ask about CM Punk. Now, I get it on one side. If you're a journalist, you got to ask the hard-hitting questions. Fine. 
But you should already know that you are not going to get an answer out of that because everybody that asked Tony Khan that question before you got Tony Khan on your show was given the same fucking answer. I can't talk about that right now. I'm going to decline a comment. Nick Jackson couldn't say anything. Matt Jackson couldn't say anything. Fucking Ace Steel couldn't say anything. Larry the Dog couldn't, couldn't say anything. CM Punk couldn't say anything. Chris Jericho couldn't say anything. Whoever else was there backstage couldn't say anything. No, but you expect Tony Khan, the boss of AEW, to go and give you the answers that you want. Meanwhile, nobody else in that situation or who was involved backstage or there that saw it transpire couldn't say anything. You expect Tony Khan to say something. Shit out of luck is Ariel Hawani. Maybe you should have prepared yourself better and asked fucking questions that could have been answered by Tony Khan. Now, on Tony Khan's side, I get that he doesn't want to really reveal too much of what's going on. He doesn't want to peel back the curtain a little bit. But when you present AEW in a way that Tony Khan has, they're an outlaw promotion, that they are an alternative, that they're going to do everything that the other company is not. And you go on a show like this, and then you don't divulge any information, and you're not open and honest about anything. How does that make you look? Are you really an alternative? Are you really different than the people that you supposedly don't like over on the other side? Are you different from the E? Because everything that Tony Khan did in this interview and everything that Tony Khan does by not peeling back the curtain, you're making yourself into a WWE light. That's my honest take there. Instead of being open and honest about things, you know, Jesse and I talked about this on Wednesday several times. I don't know why they don't really divulge injuries. Every major sports company, sports league has an injury report. We don't know who the fuck is out. Who goes missing? What they're missing for? There should be a fucking re- unless it's a dire personal reason. There should be something along the lines of, oh, this one's out. X person is out for this reason. I mean, if you want to ask about, I think Ariel Hawani asked about Bray Wyatt. He asked about Bray. Did you talk to Bray Wyatt about potentially bringing him into AEW while he was a free agent before he joined WWE? I can't comment on that. Why? I mean, make something up. Give me something. Did you talk to Bray Wyatt? I I don't know if Bray Wyatt's a free agent. I know I got Bray Wyatt on the fucking phone. Give me something. Tony Khan gave him nothing. He gave him nothing. If you are of the mentality of, yeah, I'm not going to give this guy any fucking questions. You're wasting your own time. Why even bother? You could have put that 25 minutes or 20 minutes or so to writing a fucking segment for Dynamite. Or doing something dynamite related. Getting sleep. For all we know, he doesn't sleep. He's a fucking Terminator. He made himself look like an idiot. Ariel Hawani looked like a fucking idiot. They both look like idiots. That's what led to this back and forth. Snowman. Unbiased journalist. You're a shill. Then Tony Khan wants to know why... Dynamite is losing viewers and why people don't have as much interest in Dynamite. It's not the same company. No matter how great the shows have been, it's not the same vibe. It's not. They're not the alternative anymore. They're not. This is what I said was going to be a problem. Triple H 
now is doing what Tony Khan was doing better than Tony Khan. Who are you going to side with, Triple H or Tony Khan? AEW wanted to present itself as the alternative. They're not the alternative anymore. They are now basically on par with WWE, trying to do the same thing. With Vince McMahon, it was easy to be the alternative. With Triple H, it's not that easy to be the alternative because Triple H is going to be attacking you the same way that you're attacking him. So what is Tony Khan going to do? What does Tony Khan have to do to, again, present AEW as the alternative? You want great wrestling? You can watch WWE. You want banger matches? You can watch WWE. And don't lie, they've they've given us banger matches on Raw and SmackDown, pay-per-view. You want long-term booking? You want storylines? You can watch WWE. What is AEW doing different than WWE? Zero. Zero. So please exactly tell me where the alternative is in AEW. There isn't. There isn't. That's why people label them a modern-day WCW. He's got to get that through his head. Then on the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, Ariel Hawani was on the pay-per-view. He, again, narrated something with Sami Zayn. They showed a sit-down interview with Sami Zayn before SmackDown on Friday. He was in the crowd with uh, some UFC fighter, George St. Pierre, right? Michael Cole gave him the the headline of, you know, he is one of the best journalists in the industry and asks the hard questions whether you want to answer them or not. He's an unbiased journalist, says Michael Cole. Now, I don't give a shit if Michael Cole wants to fucking have some fun at Tony Khan and Ariel Hawani's expense. I mean, it's not really a good look at the end of the day, but, you know, the pettiness, I don't really give a fuck. It's more on Helwani and Tony Khan at the end of the day. If Michael Cole wants to fucking throw a cheap jab, so be it. If Corey Graves wants to throw a cheap jab, so be it. But that's what it led to. No reply from Tony Khan after the comments made by Michael Cole on the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. He was also on the kickoff show. And he was introduced by another shill in his own right, Peter Rosenberg, who was sure to note he was a man who is respected by anyone with any intelligence. Basically telling you that Tony Khan is a blithering idiot. Yes, that's, that's a lot coming from Peter Rosenberg. Peter Rosenberg is now trying to take cheap shots on Tony Khan when all he should do is shut his fucking mouth. He doesn't know jack shit about jack shit. Jonathan Coachman. This is a surprise to me. Jonathan Coachman talked about Ariel Helwani because he's been in the news lately on social media saying that Ariel Helwani is not allowed at UFC events. ESPN clearly didn't know when they hired him. Now, I don't know what that means, but this is what Jonathan Coachman said on social media. Coachman tweeted this, and I quote, after Halwani's appearance on the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. It's really cool to see an event that Ariel can actually get in the building for. I would be excited also. If you don't know, now you know. Coachman then followed up in another tweet and said, One, Ariel Halwani is not allowed in the building for UFC events. 
And ESPN clearly didn't know when they hired him, which is why he only lasted one contract. Also, the mockery he makes of pro wrestling like he could ever do it only upsets me, not only upsets me, but a lot of people actually in the business. Coachman then responded to someone uh, in this same thread. What mockery does he make of the sport? You didn't like the Cole unbiased jab last night. Coachman's response to this tweet was, when you do this for a living like I did for well over 10 years, look back at the last year, talking trash to actual wrestlers like Booker T on a talk show when he is 140 pounds soaking wet. He is a fan and that is it. He is not and never will be. Fans are not the WWE talent. Later on, he tweeted in this response to a different person. He says, I know, I know the whole thing. Believe me, I saw that too. I have been on both sides, an interviewer and also a talent in the ring. You either have it to be one or the other. And when you have yourself looking like Ariel Hawani does at 140 pounds and won't get physical ever, then don't trash talk and be a journalist. They will use anyone, especially if that person is from Montreal. Trust me, Triple H not having an issue is way different than a regular wrestling promotion. Triple H has a show to promote, and they know Fanboy will do whatever they want him to do. End quote. Now, I I, I don't know what exactly Coachman said by that Ariel Hawani actually was allowed in the building for the Elimination Chamber. It's cool to see that he actually got in the building for an event. I, I don't know what that means. You're really, you're really setting yourself up for, uh, you know, something really, really worse with uh, something like that to be thrown around. Now, that, that, that's something that could open uh, Pandora's box, and I don't know if you want to get in. And that could mean so many different fucking things. Like, what is, he, what is he insinuating with that? Number one. Number two, he knows what he knows. Maybe he's not at liberty to say. I, I don't know, but... You know, Coachman didn't really, he didn't really come to the defense of Tony Khan. He didn't mention Tony Khan specifically in in this uh, thread on Twitter. But he did take the time to basically tell us that Ariel Hawani is a fraud and that he talks shit about pro wrestling. And the only time that he talks good about WWE is when they ask him to do an appearance because it's a payday and a paycheck and... The fact that Triple H knows, you know, that he's a fanboy now and he worked for BT Sport. He's got a show to promote. Let me use him. I got him at my disposal. I'm going to fucking use him. Like I said before, it is a two-way street. Triple H, WWE is going to use Ariel Hawani and Ariel Hawani is going to use WWE and they're going to both promote their own platforms via the shows that they hire him for. That's all it is. But that's the part I don't like. That's the part I don't like. And that's where Tony Khan is coming. And he's basically, he's basically justifying Tony Khan. He is, he is a biased journalist. He's a biased journalist. It's ridiculous. And that's where that's where Ariel Hawani gets in trouble. Because if he doesn't like if, if Coachman is correct and he doesn't like professional wrestling, and he trash talks professional wrestling and has said nasty things to people in the business. 
but then he wants to show up on the fucking pre-show and hype up Sami Zayn and hype up Roman Reigns and fucking be rubbing elbows with Triple H. After we, after we had Coachman say he's talked shit about professional wrestling, it's not, a really, it's not really a good look. And Tony Khan went on social media to call him, an un, uh, you know, that, you know uh, yeah, good luck with that unbiased journalism. He wanted to sit down with Tony Khan and ask him questions that he knew Tony Khan couldn't answer, but then he wanted to throw softball questions at Triple H. You can't do that. You can't work that way. Does Ariel Hawani even watch AEW programming? It may be in his contract, BT Sport, that he can't do anything AEW related. I don't see him clamoring for interviews with MJF. I don't see him clamoring for interviews with Jade Cargill or Britt Baker, John Moxley, Chris Jericho, Brian Danielson. Take your pick of the litter. If you're such a pro wrestling fan, look at all the pro wrestling that AEW has to offer and look at the fucking storylines that they have. Danielson could be in his last year this year. Why aren't you clamoring to interview Brian Danielson? Major show coming up, major match. Where's that? Where's that interview? You got such hard-hitting questions. Where's that interview with Brian Danielson? There is none. What about getting somebody like Ricky Starks on your show and asking him some questions and get people to know Ricky's, oh yeah, you can't do that because you're tied to WWE and you're fucking butt buddies with Nick Khan. Great. This is why I don't blame Tony Khan for saying what he said because, I mean, you could smell that shit from a mile away. Tony Khan was not right completely because, you know, as a CEO, as a boss, you're going to depict yourself that way on social media and it's not going to really be a good representation for the company. Not really going to be a good look for the company. Then you're going to open yourself up to the trolls, and you're going to open up yourself to WWE. You should know a little bit better that WWE is not here to make friends, that they don't play anybody, they don't play with anybody in a nice way in their own sandbox. They will jump at the fact to embarrass you and take a cheap shot at you, whatever they can do, whenever they can. So he does leave himself open to that, but... I mean, Coachman, man, he came. He, he basically came to Tony Khan's defense here without actually saying anything about Tony Khan, basically justifying what Tony Khan said about Ariel Hawani being a biased journalist. Good, good for him that he had the balls to speak up about what had happened here with Ariel Hawani. He interviewed MJF twice. He did interview MJF twice, but I think MJF could take interviews... You know, MJ, supposedly MJF could take interviews on his own. I, I don't know if that, maybe that was probably back when, when MJF, you know, was, I guess, kind of coming out of that whole lull period and that dark period, that big uncertainty around him. And, and that's when probably Tony Khan and Ariel Hawani were uh, on at least talking terms. Now you won't see none of that happening. Tony Khan's not going to give Ariel Hawani any interviews with MJF anymore. I think they were on at least talking terms at that point. You won't see that shit happen anymore again. Moving on. Report. Let's shift gears to WWE side of things. Report on Triple H being disappointed in returning stars that he himself brought back to the WWE. 
Triple H has brought over a dozen departed WWE talent back since taking over as head of talent and head of creative. Recently, a report emerged that Triple H had been underwhelmed by several of those WWE talent. Now, if that's true, WWE is certainly not saying a word as longtime employees contacted Fightful to say that in the following weeks of this report that had been severely downplayed within WWE. One source stated that it wasn't a thing they would ever expect Triple H to say out loud, even if he did believe it. Specifically, one member of the creative team said that nobody that WWE brought back was expected to immediately ascend to the top of an already planned out top of the card, which I'll get to that in a second. Another source familiar with the situation said that Triple H found it important to add more depth to Raw and SmackDown, and that was told to numerous talent that were brought back in. It was also noted to Fightful that he was hopeful it was a long-term play as they want each act to be a little bit more over every time they come back to an arena. Several of the talent resigned were even told when they were brought in that depth was a big point in bringing them back. The depth issue was one that was a huge issue on Friday night. SmackDown had a major depth issue. You know what I'm talking about. That show was insufferable on Friday night when Vince McMahon was in charge. We saw the same shit weekly. It was easily, and I mean easily, the worst show of the week. Raw was bad, and it wasn't as bad as SmackDown. And SmackDown was the home of Roman and the bloodline. Now look at where the bloodline is and look at where SmackDown is. They are the best show on television in WWE. They're easily the best brand in WWE, and rightfully so. It's where the world champion and the bloodline call home. But yes, yes, depth issue was a huge priority. No doubt about it. It was immediately brought up to creative that when Triple H made it to power, as anyone who watched the show saw that Raw and SmackDown were largely the same shows every week. The story had largely been shelved until Elimination Chamber when another source pointed out the performances of Johnny Gargano and Bronson Reed as showing their value when given an opportunity. End quote. Now, I want to go, I want to go and read this one piece in this article here. One member of the writing team said that nobody that WWE brought back was expected to immediately ascend to the top of an already planned out card. Another source familiar with the situation said that Triple H found it important to add more depth to Raw and SmackDown, and this was told to numerous talents that were brought back in, and that it was hopeful it was a long-term play with hopefully them getting over a little bit more every time they make it to television or get back to an arena. So basically, Triple H brought back several talent to add depth and depth only. It is very difficult for Triple H to bring back somebody and then make them into a major player when he took over between when he took over and WrestleMania season. Meanwhile, you're fleshing out And you might not think that this is the case, but what you're seeing right now in WWE is basically still the remnants 
of Vince McMahon's administration. You're looking at acts and pairings and storylines, not all of them, but some of them, that have been transpiring on television that came out of the Vince McMahon administration that Triple H had to take over when he took over creative, and he really couldn't do much of anything to change anything, but with the depth of the roster, it gave him more options to do so if he wanted. For example, like Bray Wyatt and L.A. Knight. Nobody expected Bray Wyatt and L.A. Knight to be feuding on SmackDown, and it ended up turning into a very intriguing storyline that had a flat finish. That's not L.A. Knight's fault. But Triple H wanted to add more depth to everything that was being shown on television because he knew the shows felt the same. There was no way SmackDown was going to succeed with the current roster that Vince McMahon had. So Triple H changed that and gave himself the option of adding more and creating different shows on a week-to-week basis. Do you want to know when things are going to change? When WrestleMania is over. You want to know when Johnny Gargano and Bronson Reed and Dexter Loomis and guys like that, Mia Yim, Candice LeRae, Tegan Knox. do you want to know when all of that talent is going to thrive? After WrestleMania, because after WrestleMania, it is absolutely 100% the first day that Triple H is in charge of a fresh slate on WWE television. All of these names got brought back in the current shitstorm that was Vince McMahon. I know it's easy to say, oh, Johnny Wrestling hasn't felt the same since he joined the main roster. Yes, if it was up to me, I'd let Johnny Gargano make a run at the world fucking title. No shit. But you can't do that when there are current storylines in place. If it was up to me, Johnny Gargano would have a WrestleMania match that's at the top of the fucking billing. Can't do it because he came in and he was placed in something that was already in motion. The Vince McMahon boat was already in motion. Triple H is the one who had to take over behind the wheel. Johnny Gargano is going to thrive after WrestleMania. Bronson Reed is going to thrive after WrestleMania. They're going to have a brand new slate. Guys like Gunther. Triple H took that as a priority. I can't let this guy fucking flounder around on the main row. What the fuck did my father-in-law do to this guy? Put the IC title on him, boom. Things like that needed to be put at the top of the priority. Intercontinental title, U.S. title, Austin Theory, Gunther, Santos Escobar. I mean, what are you going to do with Santos Escobar? I mean, I could do a thousand fucking things with Santos Escobar. Let's start building for the future. Let's pair him with Rey Mysterio. Legato is going to be fine after WrestleMania. Imperium is going to be fine. After WrestleMania, we may say Ricochet, get a bigger priority. I mean, right now, Triple H is giving, TV, is giving TV time to those to really get over and say, you know what? All right, go out there, do what you got to do, and show me what you got. When we get this thing fucking going with a draft again and we start at, you know, a fresh slate, then we'll talk about getting people where they need to be. Do you think Johnny Gargano joined WWE to sit around fucking feuding with The Miz For the rest of his run, you're a complete idiot. Triple H loves that man. Loves him. Same thing with Champa. WWE is going to be even better when Triple H resets the entire fucking brand. 
When there's a draft and these shows present completely different matches on a week-to-week basis after WrestleMania, we're going to get what exactly you ask for. But right now, you can't do that. Do I believe he's disappointed in a couple of talents? Sure. If the fans are disappointed in talents that they watch on a weekly basis, then you know Triple H is disappointed. Just via the report, they say that Triple H probably won't say something like that out loud. But if there's anything we know about Triple H, Triple H has his ear very close to the ground, and he's got his finger on the pulse of what the fans want and what the fans don't want. You don't think that man knows exactly what we're feeling about Karrion Cross? You don't think that man knows exactly how we feel about Hit Row on a weekly basis? He knows. You're not going to get anything by him. I hope those talents find a way to change what needs to be changed to get better. Yes, Karrion Cross is missing something. Yes, I'm assuming that Triple H is kind of disappointed that he brought Cross back and he's not able to get over on the main roster. But Karrion Cross is another guy that you really can't do much with him right now anyway. He's only there to get some work in and present himself in a way where hopefully it will be better after things get started at a fresh slate. Give it time. Give it time. Triple H took this shit over in August. The fuck do you expect? It's February. If you don't see the change for the better already going into WrestleMania, I don't know what the fuck you want. He hasn't even been there a year yet. You can't expect him to change shit in, a, in less than a year. Give me a break. It's not going to be changed after a full year, a year and a half. It's going to take some time. It's going to take 18, 24 months to cleanse that Vince McMahon poison out completely. There's so many other things that he needs to do that he hasn't been able to do yet because he's right now in the middle of WrestleMania season and he needs to make sure that's a priority. Give it time. WWE has no plans to turn the WrestleMania main event into a triple threat match. I mean, I don't know what the fuck they did at the Elimination Chamber last night, but it certainly feels like Sami Zayn's going to get another match. They left it open. They left that door wide open for Sami Zayn to get a match, a rematch, at the world title after the Elimination Chamber. Because they didn't do what they needed to do last night. They didn't take the simplest road last night at the end of the Elimination Chamber. Now... As expected, the Usos got involved, but Jay did not turn on Sami Zayn. Instead, Zayn accidentally speared Jay Uso before Jay could decide whether he was in or out of the bloodline. Before he decided he was going to hit Zayn with the chair. Reigns went over with the spear before Reigns and Jimmy beat down Zayn after the match. Kevin Owens made the save for Sami Zayn as expected to send the crowd home happy, but Owens didn't stand tall in the ring with Sami Zayn, instead he immediately walked to the back. That was another big logic gap that I failed to mention on the podcast last night. It took Sami Zayn losing for Kevin Owens to come out after the fact. I pray to God that that is discussed in the weeks to come. Why did anybody ask that? Did anybody ask that? Why did it wait Why did Kevin Owens wait for Sami Zayn to lose to come out and ultimately make the save? 
when he could have came out earlier and helped Zayn win the fucking title. Unless he didn't want Zayn to win the title. That's a huge fucking logic gap where you could fit fucking eight Bruce Pritchards in that fucking logic gap and you don't want anything to do with Bruce Pritchard and logic gaps. Why? Did anybody ask themselves that question? I failed to mention that last night. Now, it was reported heading into the show that WWE was planning to do Zayn and Owens challenging the Usos for the undisputed tag team titles at WrestleMania. WWE does not want to add Zayn to the Reigns and Cody Rhodes match at WrestleMania. They do not. But ratings tell otherwise. Fan reaction tells otherwise. Just interest in the overall product tells otherwise. Sami Zayn is a ratings draw right now for WWE. More so than Cody Rhodes. More so than Cody Rhodes. What is WWE going to do? Neglect Sammy? I don't know what they did last night. But it certainly came off to me like they left the door open for Sami Zayn to be added to the main event of WrestleMania. While speaking on The Observer, Dave Meltzer talked about this match. I know what the plan was as of a week ago, and it was Roman and Cody. Now, that's seven days in WWE land is a very long time. So seven days, something can happen and change immediately. And it was Roman and Cody. It's not Sammy being thrown in. Could they do it? They could always change it. I thought watching the Cody interview with Sammy on Monday's Raw, maybe you do make it a three-way, Meltzer said. Look, I was told they weren't going to do anything with the Sammy thing, but you always do think it could change. It could always change. My feeling hasn't changed as of last night. My feeling has not changed as of last night. I did mention that with Jey Uso not doing what he should have done, it may be setting up Jey Uso for a bigger story in this whole bloodline story. We may see Jey Uso leave the bloodline and he may go rogue. He may be the one to ultimately leave the bloodline and cost Roman Reigns the championship at WrestleMania. We don't know. That is always a possibility. Jey Uso started this storyline, and he may end the storyline. Just think of it that way. The whole fucking bloodline storyline started with Jey. He may end the fucking storyline and help Sammy or Cody or whoever win the championship from Roman and be the reason why Roman loses the title. Because even after all these days, I just can't feel it in my bones. I can't see it. I can't understand it. I can't understand why anybody thinks Roman was losing last night. Nobody even knows if Roman's losing at WrestleMania. I can't see WWE taking Roman and losing or having Roman lose clean. I just can't see. It's not in there. They don't have the balls to do that. They don't. And I'm being, I'm being brutally honest with you. I, I don't see WWE beating Roman clean. If Roman loses the championship, it's going to be a mixture of somebody leaving the bloodline, the bloodline imploding, Jay turning and leaving the bloodline, and Jimmy. maybe Jimmy and Jay turn on Roman and the bloodline's finished. I don't know. Maybe the bloodline is done at WrestleMania. Maybe Jimmy and Jay walk out together in the bloodline. I don't know. Maybe we get a new bloodline. Without Roman. Maybe Sammy fucks over Roman. And helps Cody win the championship at WrestleMania. I don't know. 
But I said it last night, maybe Jay Uso, who started this entire thing two and a half years ago, ends it at WrestleMania. That could be a reason why he didn't turn last night. Maybe we get Sammy added to the main event. They certainly left the door open for it. The way that they played that shit out, I said this last night, they are going to have a very difficult time to turn this into the tag team match that we had thought it was going to be and then move on to Cody and Roman without there being any interference with the fans wanting Sammy involved in Roman and Cody. What they did last night was a bigger risk than anything that they've done in this entire storyline. You thought the Cody promo to Sammy on Monday was a risk. Last night was the biggest risk of them all. I don't know why they did what they did. I said this explicitly last night. The first thing I said on Twitter and the first thing I talked about on the podcast last night. What they did last night was a mistake. The priority last night should have been maximizing the heat on Jey Uso. I get that they have six weeks of television. I get that they're going to play on the heartstrings of people and they're going to string Jey Uso along because there's six weeks of WrestleMania build left and they need to save it for TV. This is why they're in the business of creative writing. We're heading down the road to the conclusion of this storyline. They've booked this shit for a fucking year. You mean to tell me that can't squeeze out six more weeks with Jey Uso maximizing his heat at the Elimination Chamber, turning on Sammy and building that to worry about that match, the tag team match, while not risking anything happening to Cody and Roman? I find that to be a mistake. Jey Uso turning on Sami Zayn is not going to have the same effect if they do it two weeks from now on Friday night. It needed to be done in Montreal to maximize the insane heat that it was going to be for him turning on Sami. And they didn't do it. Now it's not going to have the same effect. And they're doing it for television. And why are you in the business of creative writing if you can't captivate us with six more weeks of television? You mean to tell me Paul Heyman and Triple H can't come up with a fucking reason for six weeks of television to be happening? Between the Usos, Sami Zayn, and Kevin Owens? Jay Uso should have been the reason why Sami Zayn lost. They did everything to try and send the fans home happy and cover up the fucking mistake that they blatantly made last night. Kevin Owens comes out, he saves Sami Zayn, he stuns Roman, he stuns Jimmy, he stuns Paul Heyman, Sami Zayn halluva kicks Roman, they leave the door wide open with fans thinking that Roman's going to give Sami another shot because Sami got fucked. It should have ended. Should have ended. Jay Uso. Jay Uso should have been the one to end it all. Meanwhile, Sami Zayn goes home kicking Roman in the face. All the fans are thinking about is, oh shit, Sammy got fucking screwed over. Let's get him a rematch. Now all anybody's saying is, they're still on the narrative of Sammy. Let's add him to the match with Cody and Roman. That's not what you needed. That's not what you wanted. And on top of that, 
I don't give a fuck what Cody Rhodes presents himself to be. I don't give a shit what you think of Cody Rhodes. I don't give a shit what WWE thinks of Cody Rhodes. There is no human way possible that Cody Rhodes is going to be able to duplicate what they did with Sammy and Roman at the chamber at WrestleMania. You're already presenting Cody Rhodes way behind the eight ball going into WrestleMania. You think Cody going into WrestleMania is going to be this big moment now? It's not. What Sammy and Roman did last night was bigger than a WrestleMania main event. 17,000 people in that fucking Bell Center. That was as every bit of a main event WrestleMania match than you can ever ask for in this company. And it happened at the Elimination Chamber. You think Cody Rhodes is going to be able to fucking duplicate that at WrestleMania? You think the fans are going to be on Cody Rhodes' side like that at, at WrestleMania? <laughs> Oh, man, you may be dumber than I fucking know you are. No way. No way is it going to happen. You're all in for a rude awakening. If Cody survives this, I'll be shocked. I'll admit when I'm wrong. If Cody, if Cody doesn't have a problem on the road to WrestleMania by week four, week five, and we're two weeks away from WrestleMania, I'll say, you know what? Cody's done a great job. Kudos to him. But right now, it is very difficult to be against the Sami Zayn movement. WWE fucked up last night. They fucked up. And then you got people telling me, oh, it's all for the six weeks. They got to build six weeks of television. This is what they are paid to do. They are paid to creatively write. You mean to tell me that was the best option that they had? That was not the best option that they had. They needed to maximize Jey Uso as the villain in this story, and you are now stringing Jey Uso along to play it out on television when the maximization of his heel heat was last night. I'm sorry. I am not wrong here. You're wrong. Whatever they do is going to end up working out, but it's not going to be fulfilling like it would have been last night. I can't sit here and, and, and deny that it's going to be a great match. We're going to end up getting the match anyway. But they opted to really just dive even deeper and open that book even more. Storytelling when the whole fucking basis of what we watched was Jey Uso taking the chair and hitting Sammy and fucking him over and having him lose the title match. Oh, he inadvertently speared Jey Uso. Is that going to be enough for Jey Uso to say, fuck you, Sammy. Get the fuck out of here. I hate you. Inadvertently spearing Jey Uso is going to be enough to say, yeah, you're not my brother anymore. I'm siding with my brother Jimmy and the bloodline. No. Jey Uso didn't trust Sami Zayn from the word go. He had every reason to hit Sami Zayn. He also had every reason not to hit Sami Zayn because where Sami is right now with Roman, Jey Uso was there at the beginning of the storyline. So yes, he's conflicted, but we've already seen that part play out at the Royal Rumble. What they needed to do last night is exactly how I documented it here for you, and they didn't do it. Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar. Not locked in for WrestleMania. Good. Nor do I care. 
Fightful Select is reporting that while last night's angle was done to continue the feud between Lesnar and Lashley, the rematch between the two is not locked in for WrestleMania. WWE's Bray Wyatt getting involved in the story between Lashley and Lesnar on SmackDown this week, so him getting involved in the story would seem likely. Why? I hope we have a great reason why Bray Wyatt's getting involved, because him mentioning Brock Lesnar or Bobby Lashley seems incredibly random. And I'm not really itching to see a Bray Wyatt versus Brock Lesnar or Bray Wyatt versus Bobby Lashley match either. I don't really care about any of these guys, especially Lesnar and Lashley. Match one sucked. Match two sucked. Last night sucked. A dream match that's been building for 10 years, wanted by Bobby Lashley for 10 years, ultimately ended up being a trilogy of garbage. Wasting everybody's time. Great job. Really great job there. Oh, but I was sports entertained. Oh, Montreal loved it. Of course they loved it. Who doesn't love somebody going through a fucking table and a referee taking an F5 through a fucking table? Of course they're going to like it. I know Brock Lesnar's not paid to have a fucking Matt Classic for 20 minutes. But Jesus fucking Christ, if you think that Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar are, are, are better you know, or or that's their best, and they're not better than that. They're not better than what we saw at the elimination chamber. I mean, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. This whole feud has been fucking trash, trash. And I never want to see them in the ring again. It's not locked in. What's locked in? Are we getting Bray Wyatt versus Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar in a triple threat match? We're getting Uncle Howdy and Bray Wyatt versus Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania? How are we going to make that interesting when Bray Wyatt has fucking lost all momentum coming out of the LA LA Night Feud? Are we going to see more more puppets? Are we going to see more people in the Wyatt Six? More additions? What are we going to see? we got a Firefly Funhouse segment on Friday. I, I can't wait to see how they explain this one. He's got no history with Bobby Lashley and barely any history with Brock Lesnar. WWE wants to sign Kenny Omega. They want the cleaner. They want to clean up the rest of the EVPs and kill AEW once and for all. Speculation. Ran wild that WWE is in the market for a major free agent. Everybody was like, oh, it's Jay White. Triple H wants Jay White. No shit. Who wouldn't want Jay White if he's a free agent? Jay White should be a priority for any wrestling promotion as long as you got the funds to handle paying Jay White. People were saying, oh, it's Kota Ibushi. No, it's not Kota Ibushi. I'm sure Triple H would love to have Kota Ibushi, but Kota Ibushi is not a top priority for WWE over the likes of a Jay White. Give me a break. He may be a top priority for an AEW because of who's in the company, who knows Kota Ibushi, but Kota Ibushi is not a top priority over Jay White for Triple H. Give me a fucking break. Jay White is less than 30 years old. He speaks fluent in Japanese, and he speaks perfect English, and he's ring ready for WWE both physically and on the microphone. No, but he's less of a priority than Kota Ibushi. Thank God the fans don't book the shows. 
Jay White was a top priority. Then there was a report that came out saying that WWE's got a bigger name than Jay White that they want to make into a top priority. People got talking. Who is it? Is it CM Punk? No, it's not CM Punk. CM Punk is still contracted to AEW. We don't know if CM Punk was released or not from his contract, if Tony Khan bought him out. For all we know, that could have happened, but you'll never know. And I don't think that's the case either because Tony Khan's not a fucking idiot. Why would he just randomly let CM Punk go? He's going to pay that man what the fuck he wants and then going to keep him on the contract and hopefully talk him to come back and hopefully settle all this and get these guys back on television. People are like, is it FTR? Is it Dax and Cash? No. They are still contracted to AEW. They have contracts coming to an end in April. Edge and Beth Phoenix did the Shatter Machine last night in their tag team match with Rhea Ripley and Finn Balor. And people were like, oh, that's a sign that FTR is coming back to the WWE. Look, they did the Shatter Machine and said it by name. I'm sorry. That's not even the name of the fucking move anymore. They call it the Big Rig in AEW. The Shatter Machine. That doesn't mean FTR is coming back to WWE. They're still contracted to Tony Khan through April. Little do people know on social media where everybody has the fucking brain cell of a fucking tree. We got FTR living in the same fucking town or in the neighboring town. I don't know where the vicinity is. They live in North Carolina. They're basically neighbors. Dax and Edge, Adam Copeland, live in the same fucking town. And they trained Edge, both Cash and Dax trained Edge during the pandemic when WWE sent a fucking ring to his home so that he could get back into ring shape and get back on the road. Nobody knows this. Oh, FTR's coming back to WWE because they did the Shatter Machine last night. No. And no, they're not the top free agents that are being talked about in this story. The best belt machine, the cleaner, the belt collector, Kenny Omega. His contract is believed to be up or nearing expiration soon. Omega could have time added to his deal due to injuries, according to Fightful. Omega and the Young Bucks seriously considered signing with the WWE before deciding to join AEW and start the company. Omega had a highly successful four years with AEW, winning the AEW World Title, Tag Team Championships, Trios Championships. He also returned to Work Japan and work with New Japan Pro Wrestling, where he became who he is today. And Omega defeated Will Ospreay, and he is the current IWGP United States champion. If WWE does sign Omega, the company may already have the blueprint for how to use him. Cody Rhodes, who also helped create AEW alongside Omega and the Young Bucks, returned to WWE last year after winning the 2023 Royal Rumble. Rhodes is set to compete for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship in the main event of WrestleMania, as you guys know for now. We don't know where that's going to lead six weeks from now. Does Kenny Omega join WWE? I I, I can't see it. I I just can't see it happening. I I can't see it happening. And and if I'm Tony Khan, I am not allowing that to even get to a point where he's contemplating leaving. Now, he's going to have a very difficult decision to make, Tony Khan. He either pays Kenny or he doesn't. You know, this is not a Cody Rhodes situation. Cody Rhodes was a part of the elite, but he wasn't really a part of the elite. 
He wasn't. Cody Rhodes, to me, he was more of, he was more of the, the heartbeat of AEW. He was, he was the logic. He was the common sense behind AEW. I feel like things just made more sense when Cody Rhodes was there. That's how I honestly feel. I feel like when Cody Rhodes left, some of the logic that we had that was so great in AEW kind of went, went away with him. And they haven't felt the same since. Now, the elite, Kenny, Matt, Nick, Hangman, they are the heart and soul. They are the fucking soul of AEW. If you lose Kenny Omega, you are looking at an absolutely devastating situation that I don't know if AEW will ever recover from. If they're bleeding ratings now, and then you don't have somebody like Kenny Omega on your weekly television, who's going to be sticking around for that? The whole reason why this company even exists is because of somebody like that, and then Matt and Nick Jackson. It's their idea. They are elite. They are the elite. All elite wrestling. You can't have the you can't have AEW without the elite. It's not elite anymore. It's in the fucking name of the company. Cody Rhodes jumping ship to WWE was a big blow. Was it a death blow? No. Kenny Omega would be a death blow. Kenny Omega leaving AEW would be one foot in the grave for AEW. It would make Cody Rhodes jumping ship to, to, to WWE look like fucking... Like it never happened. It'll look like fucking child's play compared to Kenny Omega. And you know WWE is going to make every fucking attempt to give that man way beyond what his fucking pay grade is. Way beyond. That's going to be a very difficult thing to pass up. Kenny Omega is at a point right now. Do you honestly think if Kenny Omega is a free agent that's... WWE is not going to go after him as hard as they've ever gone after anybody ever. Kenny Omega could basically hand, he could go into that negotiation and ask for anything he wants, anything he wants, and he's going to get it. Same thing with Tony Khan. But there's one thing that is going to stop Kenny Omega from signing with AEW, and that is Tony Khan. Is everybody happy with the way Tony Khan is running the company? We don't know. We don't know. Is everybody going to be happy if CM Punk joins the roster again and is back on AEW television? That may be something that they're monitoring very closely as well. We don't know. We know Tony Khan's got the monetary value to pay Kenny Omega, whatever he wants. We know he's going to have more flexibility when the TV rights deals come up and they get more money from Warner Discovery. But what's stopping Kenny Omega from joining WWE now? The the man basically could be handed the keys to the fucking kingdom. They're going to give him anything he wants. And if Kenny joins WWE, if Kenny joins WWE, you don't think Matt and Nick Jackson are going to follow right behind AEW won't even exist anymore. That's what WWE wants. They want to kill AEW. They want to kill AEW. This was the reason why they signed and made a big deal about Cody Rhodes. You don't think that WWE paraded around with Cody Rhodes on their fucking roster 
knowing that this is what eventually could happen in the in the months and years to come when contracts are coming up. Nick Khan has a fucking a, 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 a fucking mantle in his office somewhere at home. And he's got empty plaques on his fucking wall. He's got the head of Cody Rhodes like he's got a fucking moose head hanging on his fucking wall above his fireplace. He's got the head of Cody Rhodes above his fucking fucking fireplace mantle. This guy's got Cody Rhodes above his fireplace with three empty plaques with Kenny, Nick, and Matt waiting to be fucking placed above his fireplace. This is a sport to them. You don't think they're going to make every fucking attempt to kill AEW and grab every EVP from AEW? Look, we got one of your EVPs. Who's to say we don't get the rest of them? You thought Cody was a fucking influencer on getting people to join WWE. Cody Rhodes could lead, and how Cody Rhodes is booked and positioned is going to lead to others maybe thinking, this is not the same mentality as Vince McMahon in charge anymore. Well, if Cody's over there and he's succeeding... You know, he's going to be doing well over there. I, I could possibly be doing well over there, too. It's not the same environment anymore. Instead of being stagnant over here and do, doing the same shit over here or not getting TV time over here. But then you're going to run into the same problem. I mean, they can't take everybody. You know, Cody Rhodes could lead to a Ricky Starks going over there. Ricky Starks could lead to a Wardlow going over there. Or a Wardlow could lead to Jay Cargill going over there. A Jay Cargill could lead to MJF going over there. Sooner or later, you're going to see defections back and forth. You're going to see a Wardlow go to WWE. Don't be surprised when it happens. You're going to see a Jade Cargill go to WWE. Don't be surprised when it happens. You're going to see MJF end up on WWE television, and he's going to be the highest paid man in the business. Don't be surprised when it happens. Don't. You thought Cody being an influencer was bad. If Kenny goes over there... That influences the defection of two of the most biggest names in the entire company to go over there. The names of the guys who basically are the name of the company. At the end of the day, I can't see it. I don't think Kenny wants that. I would like to think Kenny is a little bit of a loyal individual. Knows where his heart is, knows where his roots are. But I can't sit here and tell you that I know what Kenny Omega's mind is saying. If Triple H blows him away with a fucking offer that Tony Khan cannot duplicate, I don't blame Kenny Omega for taking the money. Kenny Omega has given us years and years and years and every fucking body part that he has, every bone in his body to entertain us. If the fucking man wants to be paid, he's going to go out and get fucking paid. How many years do you think Kenny Omega has doing this at the level he's doing it now? He's not a fucking android. How many thing, How many years do you think Matt and Nick Jackson have at being the young bucks? Before you know it, they're going to be the fucking senior citizen bucks. They're going to be the old bucks. They want to make their money. Tony Khan can pay them. But Tony Khan, he doesn't have the fucking, he doesn't have that type of Triple H hunger. Triple H's hunger is to kill AEW. Tony Khan can't kill WWE. The only thing Tony Khan can do is survive. And if he doesn't give these guys the type of money that WWE is going to give them, Tony Khan will not survive. WWE is the fucking king of this jungle. 
They can fucking not bat an eyelash and pay anybody whatever the fuck they want. They're out to kill. And if they don't kill AEW with this move, they'll wait for another moment to strike. Tony Khan cannot do and play the same game WWE can. They are in a game of survival. WWE is in a game of fucking murder. They're the fucking serial killer. AEW is the one just trying to fucking get away and survive. I don't want to see it happen. I don't think it will happen. But I can't sit here and be completely honest with you and tell you, no, it's not going to happen. There have been things I've been confident about on here. This one, I don't know about. Where does Jay White go? I don't know. I think Jay White would be better off in WWE, to be quite honest with you, because AEW only has three hours of television. One of those hours is fucking completely irrelevant in Rampage. Jay White on Dynamite. I mean, they got so many main event guys on Dynamite. Where the fuck does Jay White fit? They need another block of television that is just on the same level as Dynamite. Rampage is not cutting it. They need a SmackDown to their Dynamite. They need a B-show to their A-show. They don't have that right now. And Rampage is not their B-show because it's no better than fucking Dark. WWE has talked about having Carmelo Hayes join the Hurt Business. I know I discussed this months ago. I know I did a YouTube short on this. Carmelo Hayes in the Hurt Business would be quite the look. And believe it or not, it's actually been discussed. Dave Meltzer reported in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter that there's been talk within WWE regarding the idea of having Carmelo Hayes in the group. But even if the idea is approved and plans are put in place, it won't likely happen until Hayes challenges Braun Breaker for the NXT title on uh, Stand and Deliver, WrestleMania weekend. Meltzer wrote, It's been batted around the idea of Hayes in the Hurt Business with MVP, Shelton Benjamin, Cedric Alexander, and Bobby Lashley. That was a discussion. And not definite. But there has been talk of Hayes coming to the main roster. At the end of Vengeance Day, Hayes came out to the stage after Breaker beat Grayson Waller in a steel cage match, indicating the future feud happening. It was also teased this week on NXT. Josh Martinez interviewed MV... Whoever the fuck that is, I don't know. MVP was interviewed and praised Carmelo Hayes. He says, there's a young man in NXT who, unless you're watching NXT, you might not be familiar with him, but a young man named Carmelo Hayes. Carmelo and Trick Williams are a couple of guys. They're pretty tight, MVP said. I always say Carmelo reminds me of a young MVP. The presence, the swagger, the confidence. He's somebody I would like to work with in the future, hopefully. End quote. I mean, I could see it. I could see it. But if Carmelo Hayes and Braun Breaker is the plan for stand and deliver, I I don't think Braun Breaker is walking out as the NXT champion. So if you want to see the Hurt Business get back together, you're going to have to wait on that because they're not really back together yet officially. And it looks like Braun Breaker may be called up first before Carmelo Hayes to the main roster. And that may be an after WrestleMania Raw, after WrestleMania type of deal. I think Braun Breaker is honest. They're both ready, to be honest. But if I personally was to have one or the other, I would take Carmelo over Braun. But I think Braun right now 
is in a position right now where he's been at the top so long in NXT, he's about ready to be called up. And I think he needs new challenges and he needs a new presentation and he needs he just needs a new environment because he's not he's not really sitting well at the top of the card. He's he's feeling stagnant. Carmelo Hayes fits a little bit more with what they got going on down there. They want to bring in more indie guys. They got Dragon Lee imminent on the main roster. Carmelo Hayes fits that type of environment a little bit more. They got Dragonov and they got Tyler Bate and they got JD McDonough down there. They got guys that can go. He fits that more than Braun Breaker does. So they may have him sit with the NXT title for a little bit. He doesn't need to hold it long. SummerSlam, maybe. Drop it to Dragon Lee. Have Dragon Lee become the world champion down there and do what you got to do with him. Get Carmelo up by SummerSlam. You got Braun and Carmelo. Carmelo would fit perfect on SmackDown. I think that would be a great show for him. Braun Breaker, I think he loses the title to Carmelo and we get him on the main roster on the Raw after WrestleMania. But both are ready. But I think Braun gets the call up first. But Carmelo in, in the Hurt Business would be a, a great thing. He's just got he's got that whole look. MVP is not wrong when he says, you know, he's got that presence. He's got that swagger. He reminds me of a, of a young me. I could see it. And that's just, that's just MVP kind of throwing that out into the universe, hoping that it happens. And a lot of people hope that it happens because it makes sense. And it would be a great starting point for him. You're going to take Carmelo and Trick Williams and put them on Monday Night Raw as the same act that they are on NXT, it's not going to work. You're going to put him in the presence of Bobby Lashley and MVP, you're going to get him over very quickly, especially if you reform the Hurt Business, which everybody you know loves and never wanted to see break up anyway. It's going to work out fine if they want to go that road. Guys, that's all I got for you. We got a lot covered tonight, man. I really appreciate you guys hanging out with me on the show. We're going to get into the Super Chats in just a little bit. But first, guys, I want to thank you for not only showing up. I want to thank you for showing love to my sponsor for tonight's show, The Ridge. Ridge Ridge.com slash scripts. Or if you want to go to Ridge.com, use the code scripts at checkout to save 10% off. I want to make sure you guys get yourself some nice swag yourself with a Ridge wallet. Make sure you guys go and get a Ridge wallet, streamline everything, and make yourselves feel at ease, knowing that you're not only protected, but you look good, and you're not having to carry around that bulky wallet in your pocket. Ridge.com slash script. Let's hear from my guys over at the Ridge right now before we get into the Super Chats right here on Off the Script. Ladies and gentlemen, I am super excited about today's sponsor on the podcast, legitimately my favorite wallet of all time. I have not owned another wallet since I first found out about The Ridge. Today's sponsor right here on Off The Script. I mean, look at this nonsense. Why would you want to carry around that? Why would you want that on your person? This fumbling, ugly, disgusting mess of a wallet when you got something like the Ridge out there that's going to streamline everything you need in this beautiful little package. Not only is it as durable, I mean, look at this thing. This thing is almost three years old. I take it with me everywhere I go. It's been through hell with me, and it still looks great. The Ridge is as durable as they come. Over 30 colors to choose from. Room for 12 cards in here, plus some if you want to get a little froggy. Money clip for loose cash. 
and it's got RFID blocking technology, so you guys are going to be safe. You're not going to be compromised at all from digital pickpockers. I mean, that's the most important thing about the Ridge, period. And if I haven't convinced you guys to go get a Ridge, the Ridge is going to give you guys a full money-back guarantee for 45 days. If you don't like the Ridge wallet, which I don't know why you wouldn't, they're going to give you your money back, no questions asked. That's how confident that they are in their product. Make sure you guys go and use the promo code SCRIPTS at Ridge.com. You're going to save 10% off. Once again, that is SCRIPTS at Ridge.com. And I want to thank my great friends over at the Ridge, not only for giving me the best damn wallet anywhere, but for today's podcast, sponsoring the podcast right here on Off The Script. Make sure you guys go get yourself a Ridge wallet, ridge.com slash script. Also, follow me on social media at JD from NY206. That's Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Cameo. Hit that subscribe button if you have not done so. Turn on that bell for all notifications and go check out all the other content on the channel. Plenty of it for you guys on the homepage. The Dud with a $10 super chat. Hey, JD, the battle for the Valley or battle in the Valley. Got to love that match with Mercedes and Kyrie. And yes, Tony Brown, there was meat. Also, that heel turn by David Finley. Shocking. Yeah, I didn't watch that uh, that much. I just watched the Mercedes match and a little bit of the Eddie Kingston and Jay White match. But I heard it was a great show. Michelle Moran, I wonder where Solo Sokoa was last night. I don't know. We didn't hear any news on that either. Big John Stud, Washam Machine, thank you for the memberships. Mustafa, Syed, Solomon, Tyson, Kenneth, Williams, Corey, Hancock, Fire, Marshall, Bill, Rising Storm, Tarrant. Thank you for the new memberships. What the fuck are you guys drinking? Thank you. Nine new members tonight, man. Love it. Love that energy. Joseph King with a $5 super chat. Both Jay White and Mercedes Monet are two of my favorite wrestlers today. Being a loyal pro wrestling fan that you are, how do you rank them individually? Mercedes is at the top of women's wrestling, and Jay White is near the top of whatever he does on the men's side. Excellent in-ring worker, great look, great on the microphone, ready for WWE if that's his decision. Michelle with a $5 Super Chat loved the main event last night. Roman made Sammy look like a million bucks. They have great chemistry together. Says a lot that Roman picked him to work with. If Roman picked you to work with him, then you know you're made, man. That's what I say. Thank you, Michelle. Darius Moore with 18 months. Thank you for being a VIP. 18 months, Darius. Almost on your way to that golden microphone. Glorious one with a 999. If WWE don't do Edge and Finn, Hell in a Cell, then what if they make KO Sammy versus Usos a ladder match? That could be their gimmick match for WrestleMania. No. That does not need to be a ladder match. 
We don't need to convolute things. They already did that last night. Cruddy TV, 499 Super Chat. Yo, GD, hope you're having a great night, brother. I just turned 21. Any drink options? Yeah, get yourself a fine whiskey on the rocks, Cruddy. Good entry-level whiskey, Knob Creek, Buffalo Trace, Bullet. I like a bourbon whiskey instead of a rye whiskey. Rye whiskey's a little too harsh for me. Nate, the head of Talent TV with a $5 Super Chat. Congrats to Mercedes having a longer match than Okada and Tanahashi. That match will end up better than any WrestleMania 39 women's match, in my opinion. More than likely. More than likely. But Triple H loves his ladies, so he's going to let his ladies go at WrestleMania. The Script Keeper with a $50 Super Chat. Thank you, Script Keeper. I don't understand how people can be so judgmental rather than just letting people be. First, they say you're an AEW shill. Then they say you're a WWE shill. Now they complain about your clothes. Screw them. You're the best in my book, OTS for life. Bro, I say fuck them. I don't care what anybody says about me, man. You can make a a parody on me. You could fucking say what you want about me. You know, the influence that I have in the community is something that I worked very hard to achieve. Fuck off. Jesus with an I-99. As an AEW fan, in my interest in the product has been diminishing. There's no big stories or the stories feel the same. I just DVR and watch the banging matches the next day. That's the problem, bro. I know I'm not. The, I'm not. I know we're not the only ones that feel that way. Michael Crowley with a twenty-dollar super chat. Thoughts on Chance and Carter getting called up and winning the tag team titles and NXT titles, inducting the Jumping Bomb Angels to the Hall of Fame in an effort to rub women's tag team wrestling. Can you do Omos yelling "fuck Bill Goldberg"? Fuck Bill Goldberg. Caden Carter and Katana Chance, I could see getting called up after WrestleMania. For sure. Captain Solo with a $5 super chat. What is the point of Judgment Day existing if all they do is lose big matches? OTS for life. I don't know, but they're fucking over. They are over. Cody Snyder with a $5 super chat. Somebody mentioned Ryan Satin. We need Satin locked in the old school blue steel cage with JD for no less than 10 minutes, please. OTS for life. Yes, give me a fucking uh, kendo stick wrapped in barbed wire, man. I'll go to work on Ryan Satin. Flash AJ, 401 with a 499. Meltzer said that Vince has creative input in the championship storyline. I really hope that doesn't mean that Roman's going to beat Cody at WrestleMania. I I don't know how much input Vince has, but the reason why Sami Zayn is not the world champion is because 
Vince McMahon probably uh, nixed that idea anytime it was brought up. Glorious one with a $5 super chat to chair, to clarify what Coachman said about Ariel. Dana White and Ariel have beef with each other, and they've been beefing for years, thus validates what Coachman said. Why? Why do they have a problem with each other? Why does Dana White dislike Ariel Hawani? Let me see if I can Google that. Why does Dana White dislike Ariel Helwani? Ariel leaked the fact that Brock Lesnar was going to compete in UFC 200. Dana became very upset and punished Ariel to the full extent. Things like taking away his UFC credentials and basically everything else he had to do with UFC. There you go. There you go. He worked for Dana White and then went behind Dana White's back to disclose information like that when Dana White didn't want it out in the general public yet and that he wanted to make the announcement first. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. Eugene Morgan with seven months. Thank you, Eugene, for the VIP membership. As far as I'm concerned, jumping ship ain't safe for anyone until we see what Vince McMahon is going to do. He could still destroy WWE. Yes, that's always the case. My boy, Evil Genius. You're going to have to tell me about this tomorrow, bro. And it goes much deeper than that, he says. Ariel did not. Oh, he didn't. Well, that's it. That makes things worse. He didn't work for Dana White. Yes, that's always uh, something that could happen, Eugene. Vince, we don't know what Vince is going to do. The sale of WWE is also a major possibility on people going there. Nobody knows what's going to happen. If they're going to be sold to the Saudis, who's going to want to work there? N with a 199. Melo tweeted this report from Dave to be false. Of course he's going to say that. What is Melo going to come out and say that Melo's correct? If it's been talked about, it's been talked about. So what? I've talked about it. People have mentioned it. Well, because Dave Meltzer mentioned it, now it's false. Maybe that's the plan, and they don't want anybody to know about the plan, and they reveal the plan, and now it's a talking point, and they don't want it to be known before he makes his way up to the main roster. And that happens. Sinister with five months. Jay White versus Omos at SummerSlam in the main event with the great Kali costing Omos, and we get Omos versus Kali at WrestleMania 40. Hashtag push Omos. Hashtag OTS for life. Sinister, I think you're drinking alongside Rage at the venue. Uh, We don't need this garbage infiltrating my stream. Thank you. Please. Please. Script Keeper with a $5 super chat. AEW filed a new trademark. AEW Collision might be what Tony Khan is going to announce on Wednesday. Is it a new show? Why doesn't he fix the fucking shows that he has currently? Why don't we add... Another hour to Rampage and make it live at a normal time slot. What the fuck is AEW Collision? Joseph Taylor with a $2 Super Chat. Rest in peace. Richard Belzer Belzer from Law & Order SVU. 
I don't watch Law and Order. I don't even know who that is, Joseph, but rest in peace. And Brian Owens with a new membership. Brian Owens, what the fuck are you drinking, man? Appreciate you. Anyway, guys, that's all I got for you. We're about to get the hell out of here, man. Jesse's about to close up the venue and uh, fill the ice bins and sweep up, take the trash out, clean the kitchen. You know, he's he's, he's always doing uh, something fucking funny back there. Him and his fucking taco recipes. Anyway, guys, I, I appreciate y'all hanging out tonight, man. We had a great stream. Lots of great discussions. I appreciate you. We're on the road to WrestleMania. I'm on the road to Monday Night Raw Live tomorrow night. You'll see me inside the venue tomorrow night. Monday Night Raw. It's going to be a great show from wherever they are following Extreme... Uh, not Extreme Rules. Holy shit. Elimination Chamber. Extreme Rules. Elimination Chamber. Fallout from Elimination Chamber. We got Edge and Austin Theory. Open challenge for the United States Championship. What is Cody Rhodes going to say to start his program with Roman Reigns? Should be interesting. Anyway, guys, follow me on social media. At JD from NY206. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Cameo. Hit that subscribe button down below. Turn on the bell for notifications. Thank you for the 1,000 likes tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you for all the super chats. Thank you for the 10 new memberships. And like I said, I'll see you guys live tomorrow night from the venue on off the scripts for Monday Night Raw. Let me see those ace emojis in the chat. Let me see those rock on emojis in the chat. Let me see those Mustang emojis in the chat. And I want to hear you guys turn that music up to max. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Monday Night Raw right here on OTS. I'll see you guys later.